Hello there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies. Like a Manhattan socialite, you have arrived at just the right time, seeing as how this is a finale episode. See, we do seasons around here, six movies selected by me, Bo Ranstell, and my old pal Chad Cooper, along with a series of questionable interns, and those six movies are selected based around a common theme. The title of the show makes a little more sense now, right? This season, being season 20, is called Bombs Away, and it's all about cinematic disasters so notorious, not even Tubi will touch them. Hang on, I'm being handed some paper here. Uh, Tubi will air anything. All right, noted. Be that as it may, we have looked at five dyed-in-the-wool stinkaroos, but we have saved one of the best of the worst for last of the first, or something. It's the Lone Ranger, the one where Johnny Depp plays Tonto, and the guy who wants to eat people plays a guy who won't shoot people. It'll make more sense in a minute. But first, Chad's going to tell you all about the history of the Lone Ranger and how this movie came to be. So enough yapping out of me, let's start the show. It's the Lone Ranger on the Pick 6 Movies 20th season finale. This season, we've taken on five spectacularly terrible box office bombs. And two things must happen for a movie to be a box office bomb. First, it's got to lose money, usually a lot of money. Second, it's got to be a critical failure, meaning it's just a terrible movie. People hate it. These two things do not always go hand in hand. There are a lot of movies that are terrible, but they make a lot of money when they're released in theaters. For example, Wild Hogs, starring Tim Allen, John Travolta, Martin Lawrence, and William H. Macy. That movie made $253 million at the box office. The last Airbender, remember the one that M. Night Shyamalan made? That pulled in $319 bucks. That very first live-action Smurfs movie? This can't be right. It made $563 million. The Hangover Part 2, $586 million. Suicide Squad, the first one, which we reviewed on this podcast, season five, episode six, it pulled in almost $750 million. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, made $870 million. And the Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, that was the fourth one, the one with the mermaids and no Kira Knightley or Orlando Bloom, that movie made over $1 billion. All of these movies have Rotten Tomato scores below 33%. These movies, by many standards, and especially my standards, are terrible. But they pulled in a lot of money at the box office. Maybe not as much as the producers wanted, but they still made money. And therefore, they can't be considered a box office bomb. Alternately, there are movies that were financial disasters at the box office, but over time they evolved to be classic films that everybody loves. Citizen Kane, arguably the greatest American film ever made, was a bit of a box office disaster. Orson Welles' first and best movie was technologically innovative, telling a complex, intelligent, and beautiful story on film, and it failed to cover its budget when it premiered in 1941. Frank Capra's holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life, it didn't really connect with audiences when it came out in 1946. Only when audiences found the movie on television years later did the movie's message of everyday life having value and that suicide should be avoided at all costs started to sink in. 
Ridley Scott's sci-fi darling Blade Runner, starring Harrison Ford. That was a box office flop. Then it found its audience through home video releases, becoming one of the most beloved sci-fi classic films of all time. It was so popular that 25 years later, it spawned a sequel, Blade Runner 2049, that, well, also tanked at the box office. Frank Darabont's The Shawshank Redemption, it hit theaters in 1994, and it was met with wide critical praise, but audiences stayed away and the movie made little over half its budget at the box office. Home video rentals and Turner Broadcast System running the movie nonstop helped the film find a broader audience. Next thing you know, we got ourselves a bona fide movie classic. Joel and Ethan Coen's bowling dreamscape film, The Big Lebowski, starring Jeff Bridges as the dude. It didn't do well at the box office, in part because it went up against James Cameron's ship v. iceberg, Titanic. Speaking of this v. that, Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is a brilliant and creative exploration of pop culture, video games, and comic books, and it didn't make back its budget either. But these days, it's considered to be a must-see film for embracing nerd culture. Donnie Darko, The Iron Giant, This Is Spinal Tap, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Wilder, Not Depp, they all tanked at the box office. But today, they are heralded as iconic films that every movie lover should watch multiple times. Sometimes good movies tank at the box office. Sometimes bad movies make money. And only time will tell whether or not a movie will truly be branded as a box office bomb into the future. Which brings us to the finale of this season's theme, Bombs Away, with 2013's The Lone Ranger, a movie that upon initial release was labeled as one of the biggest box office bombs of the last 20 years. Or maybe not. The character of the Lone Ranger was originally created as a radio show on Detroit's WXYZ. George Trindle, who worked in radio advertising in the early 1900s, he was looking to create some new programming and had an idea to make a character similar to Zorro or Robin Hood, but set it in the Old West. Trindle teamed up with Fran Stryker, a writer who'd worked in radio, and the two created the character the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger was a former Texas Ranger who wore a mask and fought outlaws alongside his Native American sidekick Tonto in the American Old West. The origin story of the Lone Ranger is a little hard to pin down, but there are some pieces of his backstory that stay true to the character's creation no matter which origin story you track down. The Lone Ranger was named John Reed. He was one of six Texas Rangers that were led by John's older brother, Dan Reed. A civilian guide named Collins, well, he sells out the Texas Rangers, and all the Rangers get ambushed by Butch Cavendish, who kills all the Rangers, except for the Lone Ranger, who is the aforementioned John Reed. A Native American named Tonto finds John still alive and helps him recover from his almost deadness. In some versions of the story, Tonto recognizes John as the person who saved Tonto's life when they were both children. John vows revenge against Cavendish to avenge his brother's death. John puts on a mask to hide his identity. Six graves are dug so that Cavendish thinks that John is one of the dead, and so begins our hero's journey. Again, there are quite a few versions of this origin story, with different plays on everything from the Lone Ranger's first name, his last name, his relationship to Tonto. Again, it all depends on who's telling the story, and whether or not that story was being told on radio or television or in dime store novels or comic books. The men credited with creating the Lone Ranger, Fran Stryker, and George Trendle also put together guidelines specific to the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger never took off his mask. He used perfect grammar and avoided the use of slang. He never shot to kill anybody. He 
never drank or smoked. <laughs> Nerd. And the bad guys he fought were never seen as glamorous people with positions of wealth and power. They were the scum of the earth. Trundle was known for his frugal nature, uh, working in radio, and he didn't ever really want to spend any money, which was reflected in the decision to only use royalty-free music in his radio show. And for that reason, the Lone Ranger's theme song was the William Tell Overture. Trendle and Stryker would go on to replicate the formula of the Lone Ranger with the Green Hornet, a character that was the son of Dan Reed Jr., who was the nephew of the Lone Ranger. So the Green Hornet is a second generation Lone Ranger, sort of. And that whole royalty-free music thing is why the Green Hornet used the Flight of the Bumblebee as its theme song. See, you learn something when you listen to this podcast. <laughs> like many successful radio shows, the Lone Ranger made its way to television with Clayton Moore donning the famous mask of the Lone Ranger. There was a contract dispute, and for one season he was replaced by John Hart, but they worked that out, and Clayton Moore came back. Jay Silverheels, who was a Mohawk from the Six Nations Indian Reserve in Ontario, Canada, was cast to play Tonto. The Lone Ranger rode his horse Silver, who, according to one version of the story, was saved by the Lone Ranger from a pissed-off buffalo, and so Silver is indebted to the Lone Ranger forever and ever. And for children and adults, each week between the years of 1949 and 1957, they would turn on their black and white, and if you were rich, a color television, and you heard this. The Lone Ranger. horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hayo Silver, the Lone Ranger. Hayo Silver, away! With his faithful Indian companion Tonto, the daring and resourceful masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early West. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. The Lone Ranger rides again. Man, that was a lot of random gunfire for a TV show opening. Although the Lone Ranger ran for eight years, only five of those years had new episodes. So they really only had five seasons. And the first three were in black and white, and the final two were shot in color, which you could see on your color TV if you were Richie Rich. The rights to the character of the Lone Ranger were eventually purchased by oil billionaire Jack Rather. In 1954, and he had plans to make a big screen movie version of The Lone Ranger. When the show ended its run, Clayton Moore made public appearances as The Lone Ranger in full costume, mask, and everything. Then in 1979, oil billionaire Jack Rather said, Yeehaw! Here's a restraining order for you, Clayton Moore. If anybody's going to make money off The Lone Ranger, it's going to be me! So Clayton Moore has to take off his mask, and what he does is he just puts on some thick rim, super dark wrap around Foster Grant sunglasses that pretty much looks like The 
the Lone Ranger mask. And he also wore a costume that wasn't quite the Lone Ranger, but was pretty close. Anyway, Clayton Moore files a countersuit, he wins it, and he gets the legal authority to dress up like the Lone Ranger and go to car dealership openings and new shopping mall openings and carnivals and precursors to Comic-Cons. Also, Clayton Moore's public appearance has led to one of the best-running bits on Late Night with David Letterman ever. Every holiday season, the late, great Jay Thomas told a story of getting in a car accident while driving Clayton Moore to his hotel from one of his public appearances. Jay Thomas first told this story in 1998, and he continued to tell it every year through 2014. R.I.P. Jay Thomas, you were sorely missed. Let's get back to our introduction. Oil tycoon Jack Rather had this dream to make a big screen version of The Lone Ranger. And with the success of Richard Donner's adaptation of Superman, colon, the movie in 1978, the idea of reinventing The Lone Ranger into a major motion picture wasn't that crazy of an idea. The plan was to make a faithful, contemporary version of The Lone Ranger. Not a spoof that made fun of the source material, but rather embraced it in a movie that was titled The Legend of the Lone Ranger. William Fracker was selected to direct the movie. Fracker had numerous film credits to his name as director of photography, including Rosemary's Baby, Bullet, Gator, Sharky's Machine, <laughs> Season 1, Episode 6. For more on that Burt Reynolds classic, Fracker was recognized with two Oscar nominations in cinematography, including Looking for Mr. Goodbar and Heaven Can Wait. To play the Lone Ranger, filmmakers considered multiple actors, including Stephen Collins, who was famously remembered as the father on the show Seventh Heaven, which was about a preacher and his wife and all their kids navigating modern problems. Collins is most infamously remembered for an audio tape that leaked where he admitted sexually abusing a 14-year-old. That's gross, and something the Lone Ranger would never do. Definitely was in that list of guidelines of things the Lone Ranger doesn't do. Uh, who else did they consider? Actor Nicholas Guest, brother of comedic actor Christopher Guest. You know him as Todd Chester, the next-door neighbor in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. See Season 4, Episode 2 for a little more on that one. Bruce Boxleitner, who was on the TV show Scarecrow and Mrs. King. He was the Scarecrow. He was on Babylon 5, and he was in all those Kenny Rogers Gambler movies. He was considered, but he wasn't quite right. Ultimately, the role of the Lone Ranger went to Clinton Spilsbury, who at the time had two acting credits to his name. One was an episode of the TV show Lou Grant, starring Ed Asner, and the TV movie Suddenly Love, starring Cindy Williams, a.k.a. Shirley from Laverne and Shirley. Why would filmmakers cast an unknown actor for the lead in such a high-profile movie? Well, it kind of worked for Christopher Reeve and Superman, but here, the movie's executive producer, Marvin Starger, said, He looked great in the mask, which seems like an odd thing to say. But it's important, because we had to find an actor whose eyes weren't too close together. The mask doesn't look good if the eyes are too close together. <laughs> Michael Horse, who also had no professional acting experience at the time, was cast to play Tonto. He was a silversmith by trade and had a bit part in a Raquel Welch TV movie. He would later go on to appear as Deputy Tommy Hawk Hill in David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Tommy Hawk, I get it. He was also one of the named henchmen, specifically Forget, in Passenger 57 if you're scoring at home. Playing the bad guy, Butch Cavendish, was none other than Dr. Emmett Brown himself, Christopher Lloyd, and Jason Robards played Ulysses S. Grant, so that was something. The Legend of the Lone Ranger was shot in Utah and Colorado and California, and it made the movie look really authentic to its source material. But first-time movie star Spilsbury was reportedly a bit of a diva on the set, which led to some fights. Filmmakers were not 
happy with his performance? Well, because he wasn't an actor and he was terrible in the movie. So much so that all of his dialogue was overdubbed by actor James Keach, brother of Stacy Keach. He was also the motorcycle cop from National Lampoon's Vacation. So the movie was slated to hit theaters in December of 1980. But the actor strike that year pushed it back to 1980. The movie premiere was to be attended by none other than, is this true? President Ronald Reagan and his wife Nancy? Fancy. Turns out they were both close friends with oil tycoon Jack Rather. Yeehaw indeed. But in March, John Hinckley Jr. tried to assassinate President Reagan, so that squashed any chance of a presidential appearance at the film's premiere in May later that year. The movie hit theaters and it takes Mostly because American movie-going audiences, they weren't into westerns, they were into Star Wars. Didn't you see Toy Story? That's what that whole movie was about. Plus, the movie was awful. Spillsbury stopped acting after this because he was a terrible actor. Fracker, the film's director, was never asked to helm a movie again. But don't worry, he got a few more Oscar nominations for his work on War Games and Murphy's Romance. He did alright. But The Legend of the Lone Ranger? The real Legend of the Lone Ranger? It was tarnished and would stay that way for a few years to come. Flash forward about 20 years, and Columbia Pictures was looking to reboot The Lone Ranger with a movie similar to the modern-day take on Zorro in the film The Mask of Zorro, which starred Anthony Hopkins, Antonio Banderas, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. That movie was pretty good. Now, the twist in this new Lone Ranger movie was that Tonto would be written as a woman and a love interest to The Lone Ranger. Kimo Sabe, indeed. Husband and wife writing team David and Catherine Peebles were tapped to write the screenplay based on his production of the screenplays for Blade Runner and Unforgiven. Their script got a whole bunch of rewrites and the project was put in turnaround. It bounced around until finally Jerry Bruckheimer stepped in and he took the project over to Disney. The creative types at Disney were looking for new franchise opportunities and the Lone Ranger was one of the characters that was being considered. Sure, there were questions about how commercially appealing a Lone Ranger movie could be, but similar skeptics said the exact same thing about a movie based on the theme park ride Pirates of the Caribbean. The top brass at Disney pulled in the same team that spun box office gold from a theme park attraction to helm this reboot of The Lone Ranger. Writers Ted Elliott and Terry Russo came in to do their thing, and this made total sense as these were the two screenwriters who reimagined the aforementioned The Legend of Zorro. Their script apparently included some supernatural elements that included ghost coyotes. That sounds like fun. But that was a little too weird, so the script was given another rewrite by Justin Haith, who had adapted the novel Revolutionary Road, which was the Kate Winslet, Leo DiCaprio, non-iceberg movie. Johnny Depp was cast to play Tonto, but reportedly the original screenplay wasn't written with Depp in mind. But as the script went through repeated rewrites and it landed at Disney, it's not hard to see why Depp was chosen for this movie based on the popularity of his character Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Army Hammer was chosen to play the titular Lone Ranger. Hammer has a very interesting family lineage that includes almost every act of scandal you can imagine. Please feel free to go down that rabbit hole on the internet if you have a few days to kill. Gore Verbinski, who directed the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies, was the one who originally suggested that Depp could play Tonto for this potential new franchise. And Verbinski eventually agreed to slip into the director's chair. Verbinski chose to make the animated motion picture western Rango after he finished the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies. 
Rango also featured Johnny Depp, and this pairing of Johnny Depp in a Western may have served to some small degree as a catalyst for Verbinski to make a second Western-themed movie with Depp in the lead role. The Lone Ranger finally gets into production proper, and then it's announced there are delays due to budget concerns. Come on, people! We got Johnny Depp starring in a Wild West version of Pirates of the Caribbean with the same writers, sort of, and the same director. What could possibly go wrong? Well, first off, budget concerns. And these budget concerns were about what had already gone wrong in the past and not what was going to go wrong in the future. See, at this time, Disney was still getting over the box office bomb that was Mars Needs Moms that reportedly lost 144 million bucks and the budget for the yet to be released John Carter was north of $250 million. So there was some attention being paid to reining in the budget for the Lone Ranger. Ultimately, the budget came in between $225 million and $250 million, plus another $150 million bucks in marketing. Two months after all of these budget conversations got resolved, the movie gets back on track and they start filming in March of 2012 with a planned release in May of 2013. Early whispers of how much the movie was costing began to leak, and that started some early negative buzz around the movie. And on top of that was the controversy of casting Johnny Depp as the Native American Tonto. Now, Depp claimed to have some Native American ancestry, but it was still a white guy playing a Native American. When the movie hit theaters, critics were not kind in their reception of the film. Many critics noted the disjointed story that uses a framing device where an elderly Tonto tells the origin story of the Lone Ranger to a boy at a traveling carnival. And the runtime did not help the movie either, as it clocked in just shy of two and a half hours. Some critics cited the rewrites of the screenplay being on full display as a motley cast of characters felt very bloated with multiple storylines that were difficult to follow or even care about. And on top of all this, it was a Western, which had a track record of not being money makers at the box office. How bad were Westerns at making money when it comes to worldwide box office receipts? I'm glad I asked. Adjusted for inflation, Joel and Ethan Cohen's remake of True Grit, starring Jeff Bridges, is the highest grossing Western of all time. It is followed by Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. <laughs> In third place, The Lone Ranger, which was a box office disaster. This movie opened over the 4th of July holiday weekend and it pulled in 50 million bucks, falling 10 to 20 million dollars behind estimates. The Lone Ranger came in second at the box office, right behind Despicable Me 2, and just ahead of Pixar's Monsters University, a fun and often overlooked sequel to Monsters Inc. But is the quality of the Lone Ranger really reflected by its box office receipts and critical reviews? I mean, currently the movie has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 31%, but I don't believe that score represents the quality of this movie. Because Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which made over a billion dollars, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 33%. For all the critical naysaying of The Lone Ranger, there were movie reviewers who cited Verbinski's signature blend of comedy and action and unexpected violence. And the finale of the film is perhaps the most entertaining and thrilling train sequence ever captured on film, excluding Buster Keaton's The General. Is The Lone Ranger too long? Sure it is. Does The Lone Ranger have a narrative that is at times difficult to follow? Absolutely. 
And knowing what we know now about Army Hammer, doesn't it seem like a missed opportunity to not cast him as the cannibal who eats other people's flesh without a doubt? But is the Lone Ranger's status as one of the biggest bombs of all time justified by being a financial failure and a terrible movie at the same time? Well, there's just one way to answer that question, and that's to get my sidekick, Mr. Bo Ransdell, in here to make me look better and smarter than I am as we break down this movie shot by shot to see if it's any good. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hi-hos and silvers aways, let's saddle up and hit the trail as we wrap up this season's theme, Bombs Away, with 2013's The Lone Ranger. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I'm Chad Cooper, and I'm joined, as always, by the man who'll put some salve on my saddle sores when they need it, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing this evening? I'm going to be called Walking Bird this episode, which is my Native American name. <laughs> I thought it would be like Angry Host or... Hungry Host is probably apt. I could I could go for a bowl of raisin bread right about now. I, I just feel like if we're going to co-opt you know indian culture let's just start right off the bat and how oh Oh, well played sir let's go ahead and just get this in the upfront this movie is not good which is why we're discussing Mm -hmm. it on this particular podcast and i am not going to argue that it is a good movie but Mm -hmm. i do think that all of the reviews of this movie were unfairly harsh and i think it was due to pirates of the caribbean fatigue or there was a lot of punching down on these big tentpole movies from Disney at the time as they were getting over the disasters that were Mars Needs Moms and John Carter from the two years prior. Plus, you had a white guy playing a Native American. My issue with this movie, because the first time I saw it, I'd heard it was an absolute disaster. And then mm. I watched it expecting to just see a train wreck, which I did get. Figuratively, mm-hmm. I was really impressed with a a lot of elements in this movie and it's bloated and it's it's complicated and it you know it kind of meanders all over the place but i don't think it is as terrible as its reputation portends counterpoint this movie is as bad as everyone tells you it is a bad movie what i'm saying is that at the time it came out go back and look at reviews it's like the lone ranger the lone stanker this movie's garbage it's just pirates of the caribbean Four set in the old west i will tell you this movie took me four sittings to get through notes wise well that's because you have you were eating too much of that raisin bran i think this movie is woefully boring i think that the biggest problem with this movie that i will i'll say in the upfront again to get it out of the way is there's not a character to figuratively hang your hat on no there's not as a result i don't care about anything that happens in the movie and it's two and a half hours long it is the cinematic equivalent of being in a dentist waiting room for two and a half hours where nothing happens and there's only one song playing and <laughs> that is the experience of watching the lone ranger for me i agree the movie's a pretty tough slog to get through and you get 
get Johnny Depp doing his best Johnny Depp impression. It's the best Johnny Depp impression in the business for my money. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to see one Johnny Depp impression, Johnny Depp is the best of it. Just like Al Pacino is the best Al Pacino impressionist at this point. It's got some pretty good stunt work. Sure. I felt that the blend of CGI and practical effects is, for the most part, pretty seamless. Yeah. It's got some good physical stunts here and there. You know, this is the old thing of nobody left the theater whistling the special effects. Now you left whistling some of that... <laughs> William Tell Overture. <laughs> yeah, I will say that if the preceding two hours had been more interesting, the last 25 minutes of this movie would have been better. And there is some interesting stunt work, and there's, you know, Gore Verbinski knows how to direct a movie, Absolutely. so I'm not gonna, you know, it's not incompetent. But it just doesn't matter, because you don't care about any of these characters. Again, one of those, like, hey, I'm just gonna say this once and be done with it, but the Johnny Depp thing, it's Stay Away Joe. You know, it is that. It's oh, just the modern now. version of that. Dude, it's Johnny Depp in Native American paint doing a Native American voice, stealing booze from people and acting crazy. The fact that he's not chasing girls is really the only defining mark between... I don't think you could compare it to Stay Away Joe. I absolutely With Burgess do. Burgess Meredith running around chasing chickens? <laughs> Look, <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm not saying the Burgess Meredith character. That's way more racist. Like, is this movie as racist as Stay Away Joe? Absolutely not. No. And if you have, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and find Stay Away Joe in our season something something episode whatever whatever. Yeah. It's the music season with Elvis. But I will I will say that given 50 years, the way that we're departed from Stay Away Joe, I think people can look back and be like, oh yeah, that was. That was regrettable. We, we should probably not have had famed character actor and weirdo Johnny Depp playing this character. And I find that distracting when I watch the movie because I'm like, I don't know that it would be made better by having a Native American actor because I just think the character is kind of embarrassing. But the whole movie hinges on it's Johnny Depp doing Jack Sparrow in the Old West. Right. And that's why it totally falls apart from Jump. All right. Is, hey, here is the same character you've seen before in a slightly different scenario and it just doesn't work for me in this movie and like I, I like the first Pirates movie I, I think I've seen the first three the first one I like quite a bit the other two I find tolerable if a little dull this movie I think is like oh here are all the worst mistakes of those Pirates movies kind of put <laughs> together this is all a writing thing again I, Gore Verbinski can direct a movie but the writing of this movie is absolute trash and I know that this has gone through a number of hands as your very good intro pointed out that th this was written and rewritten and rewritten again and that's the problem with the movie is that at no point did someone say hey before we start shooting this is our main character likable <laughs> and interesting no oh shit we might be in trouble <laughs> our movie starts off with a title card that tells us we're in san francisco in 1933 and we fade in on the city and we see the golden gate bridge is under construction way off in the distance and the camera slowly pans across to the city and we see a single red balloon drifting above a carnival as Pennywise has claimed another victim. Come on down here, Georgie. I got red balloons. There's this sideshow barker calling people into this tent to come see this Wild West exhibit. And this wide-eyed kid dressed up like the Lone Ranger with the hat and the mask and everything. He wanders into this tent. His parents clearly don't care where he is or what he's doing. It was 1900s man. he had like eight kids. <laughs> Only three of them were going to survive to adulthood. So, you know. You kind of hope one wanders off one less mouth to feed 
So this kid, he wanders into this, what has to be an incredibly boring exhibit of artifacts from like 50 years ago. There's a stagecoach and a stuffed bear and a stuffed buffalo in these oversized dioramas. And the kid makes his way over to this set piece that's titled The Noble Savage. And inside is this shirtless old man wearing a bandana around his long hair. And he's got a dead crow propped on top of his head. And the bird's wings are spread out as if in flight. And he's holding up a hatchet in one hand. And he's standing perfectly still. So you're like, did the owner of this carnival win this mummified corpse in a highly illegal game of poker? Assuming, as we will learn, that this is a living old man, Mm -hmm. what would be more interesting? One living old man on display in this kind of scenario or discovering that you have wandered into an exhibit that is nothing but old men behind glass just bitching about whatever. complain about their kids not visiting how hot it's gotten what you're describing in the latter scenario is what (laughs) happens every morning at most mcdonald's between (laughs) 6 a.m and 8 15 boy mcgriddles used to be bigger you just walk up and tap on the window (laughs) and there's like eight old men in there getting away from their wives who they hate bitching about everything oh actually a mutual friend of ours i think uh is a a fine exhibit of this because i think it's his father-in-law uh-huh. for a long time would go to Burger King every morning yep. and just be like, I can get the hell out of here for a little bit. D- dude, they just show up. They don't, the old men don't even know each other. Hardee's, it's... Burger King, McDonald's, you just roll in and you look for a white cap of old men and you go over and sit down and just start bitching about stuff. It's some bio electric magnetic thing like birds flying south for the winter. Right. Once you hit 65, it's like, Boy, I sure could go for a cup of coffee at McDonald's. They don't buy any food. They just take up a table and just bitch about stuff and talk about (laughs) Pop Warner sports and the good old days. I'm really looking forward to that point in my life when I just start showing up at fast food franchises with nothing but an axe to grind and (laughs) a buck fifty for a cup of coffee. This kid wanders over to the Noble Savage exhibit and he's got a bag of peanuts. And I don't think this kid knows how to eat peanuts because he's just popping them in his mouth shells and all or maybe it's like the late 1800s and waste not want not boy that's what the good book says this is pre-depression era (laughs) where it's like look you just don't throw that away and when the kid sees that like the eyes move on this what he assumes is a wax dummy (laughs) or human corpse (laughs) right because the old age makeup is is pretty like it's fine i suppose but it's very clearly it's not young guns too quality bo no certainly not (laughs) remember that one tonto this is tonto as it turns out uh in old age makeup he sees the the peanut bag and he says make trade before he makes trade when he darts his eyes over that kid pulls out his toy gun and just starts shooting tonto this kid hates native americans <laughs> well the only way to kill a delusional old man without a gun is a delusional child with a gun bow that's just math you know what's gonna solve this problem more guns i like the fact that when they put johnny depp in this role it's like look we can't put him in brown face well what if we put him in white face like a mime and we just go the other way yeah we call it. this the reverse jazz singer <laughs> like he's the, the whitest white guy you ever saw it, it's also like okay i see what you're doing here movie and it, you're not getting away with it like i i get it it's the combination of you're having a white guy portray a native american who is a crazy delusional character yeah. 
and one of those elements needs to be removed for this to work. I don't care which of the three, but one of those three has to go. Tonto looks at the kid, and this is where he says, trade? He points at that bag of peanuts, and then Tonto immediately gives the kid a dead mouse in exchange for mm-hmm. his snack. And then Tonto starts eating peanut shell and all. I don't think this carnival owner feeds this guy. Hell, I don't think they pay him. I don't think they know that he works there. <laughs> I want to hear the story of how Tonto ended up just standing in this tent for a living, which while we're on right. the subject, I'm amazed that there are people in cities like New Orleans and Los Angeles and other like, you know, tourist based cities who just get paid to stand perfectly still, you know, where they're dressed head to toe in silver or gold or something. You seen that before? They literally get paid to do nothing. Are they getting paid? Isn't that a like work for tips kind of situation where you're hoping that people will be like, hey, I've never seen anyone stand quite so still before. <laughs> Well done, silver guy. That's how it works. Somebody's paying him. So, so we're back at our tent and this kid says, who do you think I am, mister? He's like, you're you're clearly confused and malnourished. Should I call protective services? You're also trying to feed a peanut to this dead crow on your head. You're clearly <laughs> mentally ill, malnourished. I don't think they're giving you any clothes. Tap on the glass if you need me to get some help. So Tonto, the whitest white guy you ever saw, he says, hey, pal, you should never take off that mask this framing device of tonto telling the story of the lone ranger to this kid is one of the major flaws of this film mm-hmm. Rubinsky said in an interview that it was somewhat akin to poncho Villa telling the story of don quixote it's all unnecessary here i think it's only in the movie to set up a narrative structural gag at the end of the film and that gag doesn't work very well with the the bridge at the end but this framing device both complicates the movie and then interrupts the flow of the film multiple times with these unwanted flashbacks. There are a couple of points in the movie where they kind of come quick on the heels of one another, and it breaks up the pace of the movie in a way that is, again, unfortunate. But the kid is like, are you are you really Tonto? The movie cuts to another scene. At some other point in time, and we get this picturesque landscape of the old west and there's a silhouette of tonto on his horse atop this rock jetting out over the sky and the deserts below at sunset and then the lone ranger rides into frame as well and we get a close-up of the lone ranger in full costume and he's wiggling his nose around because the mask is awkward and uncomfortable on his face and here we see johnny depp as the young tonto he's not wearing that old man makeup that we saw last time the lone ranger says to tonto you sure about this i sure am pal a dead man strikes fear into the heart of his enemy come on Buddy, let's head down into the city. But first, would you like a cool glass of lemonade to quench your thirst? The dry desert heat is a real doozy. They ride into town a whooping and a hollering. And we do get the William Tell Overture here, which is only uh-huh. used twice in this movie. And here, it starts up quickly, but they shut it down. I do like the judicious use of it, because when it happens at the end, like, again, in a better movie, it would be like, oh yeah, this actually works really yeah. well. If I cared about any of this, this would be an exciting moment of the film. Yeah. They bust into this bank and the Lone Ranger says, ladies and gentlemen, my colleague and I will be making a withdrawal. I understand this bank is insured, so nobody move. And Tonto gives the Lone Ranger the stink eye because the Lone Ranger is a 100% goober in this movie. And by the end of the film, he doesn't transform into a hero. He's just a goofy goober white guy who accidentally does some heroic-ish things. One of the true flaws of this movie is that your main character, your titular character of the Lone Ranger is incredibly both unlikable, he's goofy, you know, it like and it's the guy playing the 
Winklevoss twins from the social network, Army Hammer, mm-hmm. who you know later turned out to be a significant weirdo. But that <laughs> aside, I don't think he's a very good actor. He's not a good comedic actor. And he kind of plays it straight, but also there's a little bit of overacting on his part of like not overacting in the sense of like he's aiming for the back row but like you said it's just comedy has to be played a certain way Johnny Depp is a good comedic yes. character actor and there is one line in this movie that really makes me laugh that he has Army Hammer is miscast in this he looks good in the mask and the outfit and all that kind of stuff like the original Legend of Lone Ranger that you mentioned but he's not good anywhere else in the movie no and also I couldn't wrap my head around whether or not Tonto is the smart one because I think they're both goofballs in this movie. Yeah. They try to set up Tonto as being crazy like a fox but he's still a little too goofy so we're in this bank and one of the bank customers yells out what's with the mask sonny which is a running gag in the movie that goes nowhere people just ask this question over and over and it doesn't land the lone ranger looks over at tonto and says in a low voice see i told you i feel ridiculous and these two are constantly bickering like a couple who is perpetually in a fight that started earlier in the car on the way to the restaurant <laughs> Yeah, I do like the fact that as they jump off this table, the kid interrupts. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The Lone Ranger and Tonto are robbing banks. That's not how this is supposed to go. This is sort of a thematic moment where Tonto says, well, you think so, chum, but there comes a time when a good man must wear a mask. So this is a story being told by this adult-minded old man, right? Mm-hmm. Which children love to hear old people tell stories from their youth, though. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, I'm aware. Not since Titanic have I encountered a movie's narrative framing device that has filled me with a 100% unreliability measure of its narrator. Forrest Gump's life has more truth in it than Tonto and that old woman from Titanic. We are cutting from the future, aka like, you know, the 1920s, back to the 1800s, then back to the 1920s, then back to the 1800s, but this is even before the scene that we jumped back to the first time. It's terribly confusing. I need you to stop this. Yes. The movie doesn't need the framing device at all. Get rid of all that. You're shaving 10, 15 minutes off your movie. Just start right here. Or with him on the train. It, we'll get to it. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We are now in Colby, Texas. Uh-huh. In 1869, so this is 64 years before that Wild West tent nonsense. And, like, Tonto's got to be, what, 30 in this movie? All right, let's make him 20, okay? Uh Uh-huh. So, in that tent, he's 84? (laughs) I got a feeling that carnival's being run by the great-grandfather of Sam Walton. Hey, old man. (laughs) Getting there, welcome people to the Wild West. There's a bunch of Chinese immigrant laborers building the railroads in this scene. We pretty much ignore that detail in the story, much like it's ignored in most history classes in the United States. We cut to this guy named Cole. He's a rich guy, Bo. And he's one of our Mm -hmm. movie's three or four bad guys. There's a lot of bad guys in this movie. We'll do our best to keep them all straight. So Cole, this rich guy, he does this pocket watch trick chain flip where he whips around his hand the watch lands on his palm and pops open to show the time. It's kind of like an old-timey version of what lifeguards do all day when they're not yelling at kids to stop running and mentally undressing people and hoping that they don't have to give mouth-to-mouth to a stranger. 
Unless it's <laughs> Becky Tresatorio. She's the hottest girl in 10th grade. Ew. How old is the lifeguard again? He's old enough to know better. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, our bad guy, like you said, he's kind of addressing this group uh, of onlookers all about the unification of the land. This is a, a real, like, we're going to bring together the two sides of the country thanks to the railroad. And by the way, uh, if anyone's listening for plot points, I assure you, and the Comanches who happen to be in the audience today, as long as there's people between us asterisk then are the land treaties that we have agreed upon to not build our railroads right through Comanche land that will all be honored law and order is being brought to the old west you see dump dump <laughs> oh I, I i sure hope it's the one with vincent d'onofrio <laughs> and we see that helen and bonham carter is all gussied up in her late 1800s finery looking on as he announces that this guy named cavendish He's an Indian killer, and he's going to be brought to hang here in Colby. Helena Bottom Carter is the town's madam. She's an elegant yes. lady pimp, and she's always wearing a bright red dress, and she's got bright red hair, and she's got a parasol. And when Cole, the rich guy, is giving this speech, he doffs his cap to a woman named Rebecca, who is there with her son, Dan Jr. Helena Bottom Carter turns around and looks at Rebecca with a, what the fuck is this woman? Like... <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out follow us here rebecca is married to dan senior dan senior mm -hmm. is the brother of the lone ranger there's a lot of players in this which is one of the many problems with the movie yes we cut to a steam locomotive rolling down the tracks and a group of men on horseback come uh, towards the town of colby six of them get off their horse and they're waiting at a train station these men are texas rangers that are led by the soon-to-be dead lead ranger dan senior who is the dad of Dan Jr., who's married to Rebecca, and he is the brother of the Lone Ranger. Keep moving on. All these Rangers are going to be dead soon. If you listen to my intro, you know where this story is going. Also, you don't care about any of these characters. While these Rangers are waiting for this train to arrive, they start talking about Cavendish and how he wants to get payback on Dan, and they discuss the fact that Cavendish is rumored to be a cannibal, and one of the guys says that he even ate his own foot. This is the real meatballs bit of like, I heard the same story, but instead of a hook on his hand, it was on his foot. <laughs> By the way, meatballs, million times better movie than the Lone Ranger. You're right. Like th These are a bunch of characters we don't care about. We don't really get to know who they are other than Dan Sr. But then we see this train kind of threading through a bunch of buffalo and we get our first look at the Lone Ranger out of costume before he becomes the Lone Ranger. He's this straight arrow goofball. He is the level of white guy that was portrayed on sitcoms in the 70s to show how white a white person can be. He's got a book on like the Pillars of Government by John Locke and his bookmark is a picture of his brother's wife that he cranks it to. If you're making a main character, having him lust after his brother's wife, not the most likable characteristic, just FYI. It is a strange choice to make the Lone Ranger such a goober in this movie. They did it in The Legend of Zorro, where Antonio Banderas was the goofball, but in that movie, mm -hmm. he wasn't Zorro. He becomes Zorro. It's Anthony Hopkins, who is the real Zorro, and he brings the gravitas that only Anthony Hopkins can bring to a movie. And it really works well that you see that transformation from goofball to hero because in that movie antonio banderas uh has the hero moment where he's like oh i've got to quit being 
a goofball and a dumbass and actually become the hero. I think the Lone Ranger should have been the straight man, not a goofball, and paired up with the overly quirky Tonto who is the crazy like a fox. And they kind of sort of do that. But in this movie, it's just dummy and dummier, you know, running around. They're just cracking jokes and being shitheads to one another. One of the themes that is really buried under everything in this movie is this idea of corrupted justice that is sort of the pillar of the system in this movie of like the governmental justice is actually corrupt. But there is such a thing as justice and it can be found. But sometimes you have to become an outlaw to be, right. you know, a, an agent of of justice and that's an interesting arc for the character to make i know to all burgeoning filmmakers the odd couple meant that one of them was kind of the straight man yeah you can't have two goofballs then that's dumb and dumber and it's a pure comedy and you don't take any of it seriously and that's why it's hard to take any of this seriously because there's not a serious character here's another thing when he opens up that book and he pulls out the picture of rebecca uh-huh. if you're watching this movie for the first time you don't know that that's his brother's wife and you would assume oh this is someone that he's in love with well which is true but we learn later it's like oh this is the lady that your brother married like when we first see her in the crowd it's very clear like oh okay she's the romantic interest of this movie got it and at no point when we cut away to the texas rangers i i don't recall this at no point is anyone like oh by the way that lady we saw at the beginning that's this dude's wife no the way you fix it is you make the photo be of his brother, Rebecca, and Dan Jr. You see that that's, you know, his family. And they're all wearing distinguished clothing that matches the clothing we just saw them in. And then you do a close-up on her face and a cut back to his eyes to show that he is interested or has some sort of romantic inclination toward her. I'll even go you one better, Chad. I think you're on the right track. I think he has the picture of the family and you see creases in it. And then he folds it and you realize that he folds it so that... That it's just like her and the kid right or just her or something it's not that hard right we we're, we don't know nothing about nothing chad and we fixed it in like two minutes <laughs> the lone ranger is riding on this train and he sits facing a mother and a very young girl who drops her baby doll to the floor the lone ranger picks it up and then gently tosses it back to the girl but the window on the train is open about six eight inches and the wind sucks the doll out the window leaving the child crying you know the way the hero of a movie should do and this is the, the moment where kind of the goofballery begins and you're like just hand him the doll and and let that be like oh he's a good guy he's an intellectual and he's a good guy got it this mother is like would you like to pray with us and he holds up a book this book by john locke and he says this here is my bible you're like man yet again you have made this character even like i am no christian but even i know you don't make a your main character in the movie be like holy bible how about you shove that up your ass old lady (laughs) so then a religious single spontaneously breaks out and then what appears to be a security guard staggers through the train car with a couple of bottles of booze in hand that looks like a good time and the security guard goes to another train car and he gives one of the bottles of hooch to the second guard that's what you want your guards to be real lit when they're doing their job we see sitting on the floor with chains on his wrists is butch cavendish as played by william fichtner billy fix who we last saw in armageddon season 11 episode 6 mm-hmm. um, he seems to have the most fun of any actor in this movie western bad guys are always pretty fun to watch like gene hackman and unforgiven and henry fonda in once upon a time in the west he was good tom wilson in back to the future three 
he's having a hell of a good time sure yeah i mean a western villain is fun to play and he kind of knows that he's in a, a somewhat campy movie yeah with he is on screen there's at least somebody that seems to be enjoying themselves yeah. his character is, looks really good he's he's all like sun beat and this weathered skin he's a nightmare of a man he's got this scar that splits his lip on the right side he perpetually looks like he has a wide range of stink emitting from both the outside and the inside <laughs> of his body it turns out that our other hero question mark tonto is chained up with him right in this car uh playing around with a broken watch that will come into play later right one of the guards is played by w earl brown who's in everything if you've ever seen a movie or tv show you've seen w earl brown before and he says what are you playing around with that broken watch for you stupid engine you're like Ugh, all right for begins he's he's not but we'll leave that out all right uh, let's get on with this so we cut over to rebecca who we still don't know the relationship to any other character in the movie she's trying on some scarf when one of our villains cole wanders up behind her and says that sure is pretty on you rebecca kind of turns it down is like oh no 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 i can't afford it and cole says like you know you're an awful pretty lady you ought to be treated right the way that say a villain with plans to steal a railroad might be able to treat you he looks at the vendor and he kind of gives it a head nod and the vendor's like take it take it i don't want to die you've got to take this or else i'm gonna be murdered and she's like well all right if you insist he says to her you know your husband dan senior like oh she's married Uh uh-huh he's got a fine family son to carry on his name a wife with what i assume is a very tight body fit flexible you know the type rebecca of course you do talking about you look at me i'm blushing like a schoolboy. he gives her this travel itinerary where he's like one day you'll be able to go all the way from new york city to the coast of california and then take a boat to china dan jr's like what's a new york city who's a california (laughs) is that my uncle i homeschool him he's not very smart because i'm not very smart what's a smart <laughs> so there are, we got to a bluff where a bunch of bandits show up and they start chasing the train cavendish reaches down and using his fingers just brutally pulls a nail from a loose board ripping up the flesh on his fingertips the board comes free and inside there's a gun cavendish removes it and hides it inside of his coat and tonto sees all this cavendish then says piss break boss <laughs> he gets escorted to a bucket where he then takes his piss break tonto starts throwing pieces of corn at the drunk guard who then turns around and tonto makes a gun shape with his fingers implying that cavendish has a gun but before anything can happen cavendish does pull out the gun shoots both the guards and turns around to tonto who still has the gun shape with his fingers but tonto plays it off cool by pinching some bird seed and feeding the dead bird on his head it turns out army hammer as the lone ranger sees the shadow of somebody like walking on top of the train mm-hmm. say that looks like something i should investigate for no good reason yeah as the lone ranger goes out to investigate we see that there's this porter on top of the train that's been strangled so he follows this path of bodies and mayhem to this prison car there he finds all the other dead people meanwhile all these desperados that we saw earlier up on the bluff have now caught up to the train or boarding it and they start shooting the place up and one of them like cranks the controls to set the train to full speed ahead mm-hmm. the lone ranger busts into this prison car cavendish pulls a gun on him then tonto he gets a gun right and he says say pal i'm gonna kill you in the name of my ancestors you know the old ones the ancients you know the magical stuff 
Native American stuff. And the Lone Ranger says, stop right there. We are going to take these men and let justice run its course because I believe in the law. Yeah. And so he swipes the gun from Tonto, who tries to strangle him, but the chains are too short. So he, he, he stops a little short of that. Right. The Lone Ranger gets Cavendish locked back up. He, you know, kind of speechifies a little bit where he says, listen, there is no room for this kind of lawlessness out here in the West. The future is coming to this lawless land. And he dumps all the bullets out of the gun. Violence has no place where we're going. You know, the future. Yeah. And as soon as he says that, of course, in a comedic moment, the door opens behind him and there are now five guys from the Cavendish's posse pointing guns at him. Sure enough, there's a quick reversal and Cavendish is now free and Lone Ranger and Tonto are chained up together in this car and off our Desperado's ride. The train speeds past the station, leaving all of the Texas Rangers in the dust, including Dan Sr. And they all hop on their horses to chase after the train. Inside the train, there's a couple of bands bandits that are robbing all of the singing christians and one of them is this cross-dressing bandit we'll get to him a little bit later we come back to the prison car and tonto again the smart one of our two heroes and i use smart very loosely he uses his foot picks up an axe head that's broken off its handle he jams it into the floorboards pops it open and he's able to escape but it turns out that tonto and the lone ranger are attached together with one single chain and here we get a sequence that is very reminiscent of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you know, peppered in with physical comedy and practical stunts. If you like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, especially the really terrible ones, I think that you would find similar elements of this movie that you would enjoy as well. If you're purely into this for a well-constructed action sequence, there are those in this movie, to be sure. Yeah, this opening one's pretty good, and then the finale is is fantastic. Yeah. So Dan Sr., he gets on the train. He's instrumental in saving the passengers. We find out that the Lone Ranger and Dan are brothers through some dialogue. The Lone Ranger shows he's a goober by trying to box this cross-dressing bandit. The engine and the coal car, they crash as the train runs out of track. Tonto and the Lone Ranger end up getting thrown through the air, and they're almost crushed by this locomotive engine as it skids on its side. Again, it's a pretty good action sequence. It's well shot. It's well edited. Johnny Depp does his thing where he delivers entertaining physical comedy throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. But after the crash, the Lone Ranger immediately immediately arrest Tonto for no reason other than he's a Native American. You're under arrest for DWI, doing while Indian. <laughs> right. Doing what? Indian anything. You're under arrest. Oh, man. He tries to arrest him. Tonto kind of won't let him. So we're real like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to let you arrest me today. Yeah. Dan Sr. shows up and is like, what are you doing letting that engine run free? And so they arrest Tonto after all. They throw Tonto in jail. And Rebecca shows up, and the Lone Ranger's in there, like, locking up the cell. When Rebecca comes in, she says, Oh, my, I hear there was an accident, and someone fell off the train. Oh, it's you, my brother-in-law, the younger, more handsome, goofier version of my husband, Dan Sr. This is the first time in the movie where you're like, Oh, okay, so she's married to the other guy. <laughs> right. You know, which is way too late for this revelation to be happening. Oh, the, he's been holding this picture of her the whole time. And that's also where you get that kind of creep factor of like, oh, so he's just jerking off to a picture of his sister-in-law? That must be an awkward Thanksgiving. But she says, well, it's so good to see you. How long has it been? Nine years? Nine since you quit writing. Uh Uh-oh. You might need to get a restraining order. (laughs) 
Yeah. This is getting weird. Her kid comes in and is like, what's going on in here? That's your boy, Dan Jr.? Yes, we have a we have a child together. He's Dan's child, as far as he knows. Let's be honest, I'm a Wild West hottie. Everybody's looking to tame what's under this skirt after the sun goes down. And the kid, like, apparently all children in this movie are just drawn to Tonto in a cell. Uh-huh. Like our framing device, this kid goes to stare at the Indian locked behind bars. Tonto is doing some chanting and making shadow puppets on the wall. And as soon as he snaps his head at the kid, the kid like, ah! And it's off. Dan Sr. and his rangers, they mount up to go after Cavendish. Then Cole, the rich guy, he shows up. And we find out that the Lone Ranger is the new prosecutor in Colby. And then a character named Collins, he rides along with Dan Sr. and his crew to go find Cavendish. And if you remember from the introductions, Collins is the one who sells out all the rangers. Spoiler for all of you that didn't pay attention to the introduction and skipped it. This all works together in perfect harmony, mm-hmm. people. You gotta listen to the intro to make sure that you know what the hell's going on in the review. So Dan Sr., he sees that Rebecca has this new scarf and he calls her out for it. And he's like, where'd that come from? You been fucking Travis? And she he says, uh, no, I got it for free in the, <laughs> in the marketplace. Hey, Dan Jr., look, uh, out on the range here, I happen to go by a Pigeon Forge gift shop and I got you a Lil Stinker brand <laughs> slingshot so, you know, you can be a little Stinker. Thanks, Pa. Are you going to come back and raise me to be a grown man just like you? Anyway, here's that <laughs> slingshot. Uh, I got some work to do. See you later this afternoon, Dad. You're the greatest dad in the world. I can't imagine my life without you, Dad. All right. His name's Dan, right? The little one? That's right, Dan. We named him after you so that you could remember his name. He's Dan Jr. You're Dan Sr. Well, anyway, I gotta get going. See you later, boy. Well, before they take off, Dan Sr. looks over at the Lone Ranger and he says, uh, he's like, I got something for you. And he throws a badge over to him and uh, he looks at it and he's like, was this Paul's badge? Yep. Uh, Look, I deputize you as a Texas Ranger. And I'm like, this does not seem official. This is like when Nixon deputized Elvis or whatever honorary lawman title Steven Seagal got down in Louisiana. Your point being, it still happens to this day, which tells you all you need to know about law enforcement. So the Rangers rush off into the desert and on their way, the Lone Ranger, he sees this white stallion and Dan Senior says, engines call that a spirit horse. Come to take you to the other side, little brother. And Dan has a necklace on that has a medallion with a silhouette of a face cut out on one side of this coin which if you leave this movie to go get snacks or take a piss break in the first 30 minutes you will miss key plot points that are also unnecessary it's a real head scratcher how all of that happens this movie is just so overstuffed with all this little like oh and he's wearing this medallion that was given to him by his father and this came from this indian tribe and you're like yes there was there was a view a review of this that i read that was so on point with saying what this movie should have been is the lone ranger's brother getting killed by cavendish which is a thing that will happen as we'll see in just a moment and then it becomes a revenge story and that's all you need you don't need all of this other bullshit i agree here collins our traitorous drunk he introduces the character of helena bottom carter being this female pimp when he holds up a flyer to her whorehouse so we know what that is when we get there later but our dumbass hero is like what is that uh a dancing saloon of some kind and he's like yeah 
it's a dancing place. If you mean the horizontal dance, <laughs> the dance of love, you know, doing it. Collins follows this up by selling out all the rangers. Cavendish and his gang show up. They kill everybody, except for the Lone Ranger, who gets, I guess, a flesh wound. Dan Sr., he's bleeding out, and the Lone Ranger runs over to his brother, and uh, his brother says, You know, <coughs> Rebecca always loved you, not me. And then here, the Lone Ranger gets shot in the back, and his face gives it a, I've been shot, look. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I've been shot. Cavendish and his gang ride down to get a closer look at their handiwork, and Cavendish goes over to Dan Sr., and he says, Been a long time, Ranger. And Dan Sr. says, I'll bet them boys in Tulsa took a shine to you. Wait, do you mean the way the sisters took a shine to Andy Dufresne? I think that's kind of the implication, right? Okay. Then Cavendish says, Your heart ain't your ranger. And then Cavendish, in a family-friendly Disney film, pulls out a knife, thankfully off-screen, guts Dan Sr., reaches into his body cavity, removes his heart, and eats it. And we know this because we see all of this reflected in the Lone Ranger's eye, who regains consciousness long enough to be scarred for life. Cavendish's gang are vomiting behind him. (laughs) Uh, Truly, like, that happens in the movie where his crew gags at the very sight of what their leader is doing. Collins just barfs in the sand. I mean, the part of that is just the bourbon <laughs> the, the heat and the booze this is the tipping point so collins he walks over to dan senior and snatches the cutout face necklace charm and he says the deal dies with you old friend and you're again it's another detail they're like what are we talking about here right. and you really have to pay attention to know what they're talking about later when all of this kind of sort of comes together yeah it, again it's way too complicated for a movie called the lone ranger Tonto shows up and he's peeking over this hillside. And did, how did he get out of jail? It doesn't matter because immediately that annoying kid from the start of the movie at the carnival interrupts the movie and says, They're all dead? That can't be right. And Tonto turns and looks into the camera for the second time in this movie, breaking the fourth wall. Because mm-hmm. it's Tonto from the main movie story hearing the kid's voiceover, then looking at us, the audience. This worked in The Princess Bride because that movie had its own charm. And the story was a fantasy, comedy, romantic adventure. In this movie, it's just like a big fart that somebody lets periodically to let you know they had egg salad for lunch. (laughs) Stop interrupting the movie. I'm trying to watch a movie here. Right. It's, It's like the movie is hitting its own pause button. So here's what's happening. Like, I got it. We know he's not dead. It's called the Lone Ranger. He's not going to be dead. The kid is like, hey, you, you stupid old man. Stop feeding that bird on your head because you're telling the story all wrong because the Lone Ranger doesn't die. Tonto says, nope. I said that he was awaiting for his spirit to return. Not the same thing as being dead. I said mostly dead. <laughs> I can see you're upset. Maybe I'll come back later. No, no, no. It's okay. You can read some more if you want to. (laughs) This screenplay is so horrendous. But then we cut back to the valley where Tonto is just looting the bodies of these dead rangers. Well, he's making a trade. He's not necessarily just looting them. And he dug graves for all of them. At one point, he makes a trade with the peanut bag from the carnival. This was the moment in the movie. I was like, okay, so this is Tonto's version of the story. I don't believe any of at all. Absolutely not. And then I went over to the third guy and he had a little container filled with coins and I needed something to trade. So I gave him a peanut bag. Yeah, that's what it was. 
It's a real Kaiser Sose moment. At the end, the kid's looking around. He's like, wait a minute. You've been feeding me a lot of shit, old man. Then I gave him a buffalo for his underwear. And a giant stuffed bear that looked like that one. So as as Tato is looting these bodies or whatever we want to call it. The Lone Ranger comes back to life and he clocks him on the head. Brains him with a rock, yeah. And starts looting his body as well. That's where this white horse that we saw earlier, the spirit horse that his brother talked about and who will ultimately become silver, shows up with this white hat and is pawing at the ground at the Lone Ranger's grave. Tonto, rather than speak to the horse in his native language chooses to continue with his broken English and is like say there old horse pal you've got a wet brain here over here this brother he's the one that you want the horse keeps going back to the Lone Ranger's grave instead of Dan Senior's grave finally and the implication of course being that this spirit horse has come to resurrect the Lone Ranger who we know is alive so there is a real question mark around the mysticism of this movie of is there something magical at work? Is there not something magical at work? It's all left very vague. The way this medicine went down for me was these are just the crazy ramblings of an old man in a tent. It's frustrating because the movie kind of wants to have it both ways. And you can't. Yeah, I just wish that you would say like, oh, there is magic in this world or there is not magic in this world, but not maybe there's magic in this yeah. world. Tonto rigs up the Lone Ranger to the back of his horse and just drags him through the desert, stopping to let his horse shit before dragging the Lone Ranger through hot, fresh manure. Eh, I can get behind that. <laughs> it, it, it was the one moment I related to because I was like, I feel like I'm being dragged through shit too. Then we get some psychedelic dream sequence and we cut to the Lone Ranger waking up on this primitive scaffolding that's about 50 feet tall up into the sky and it's out in the desert and it's sitting on top of this rock spire that is itself a good what 200 feet in the air it's all very surreal Mm -hmm. and to your point about magic you're like how did the lone ranger get there who built this structure how does he get down and then you're like who cares right let's whatever we got to do to get to the end of this thing let's do that moments like this should matter in the movie it's an interesting visual and it should mean something but it doesn't Well, and also this vision he has, it's of Rebecca, it's of all these crazy images of like chickens with their heads being cut off. And I mean, it's just the tunnel of Willy Wonka all over again. You're like, I don't know what any of this means. There's also a theme that we'll touch on briefly where people talk about nature being out of balance and that doesn't really go anywhere. It was like, well, what's causing nature to be out of balance? And is it imbalanced by the end of the movie? I don't think that it is. He gets down to this camp and there he sees Tonto so he approaches him with a gun of course <laughs> well okay right he's sneaking up behind him with a gun and he sees that tonto is talking to this horse and he's like hey what are you doing talking to this horse tonto says you know back in the old days there was a time when animals could talk the horse said that you are a spirit walker and that you can't be killed in battle this is also the point where we have to stop for a joke because the lone ranger is like uh-huh did you steal my boots yeah and tonto of course has in fact stolen his boots because you're just trying to top a ridiculous moment with a ridiculous moment and it again i just this screenplay is so wrong-headed in the way that it approaches these characters we cut to tonto and it's night and he's sitting with the lone ranger and they're roasting a rabbit on a spit and then a bunch of bunnies show up to see what's going on and tonto tosses a piece of the roasted rabbit over to the other bunnies and one of these rabbits just bears its teeth it looks like a monster like a vampire it's like 
And yeah. all these rabbits attack and destroy this roasted bunny leg. It's a bunch of vaniculas. <laughs> Kids, if you've never read vanicula, get out there. Also, the sequel, The Celery Stalks at Midnight. Sato tells the Lone Ranger, You say the man who killed your brother ate his heart? That's not a man. That's a Wendigo. It's an evil spirit that has a hunger that can't be satisfied. Kind of like those rabbits. By the way, I'm Tonto, and I'm the last of the Wendigo hunters. I had a vision that said a great warrior would help me on my quest. That's you, buddy. I would have preferred your brother, but beggars can't be choosers. Here, take this silver bullet. Silver is what made the Wendigo what he is. You need to kill him with a silver bullet. Huh? And the Lone Ranger rightfully is like, uh-huh, I'm gonna go now. I hate to be such a negative Nilly, but I was on that train with Cavendish. <laughs> Because I was there to exact my revenge. And you know what? You really gummed up my whole plan there, chum. Tano smacks him and... Wait, we got to talk about this. He slaps the Lone Ranger. Because the Lone Ranger says, you know what? I think I saved your life. And he just clocks him in the face and it is a blow to one's masculinity when you get slapped like this yeah he asked what that was for and tano says you know what that wasn't me it turns out this bird up here that i'm wearing on my head he was really ticked off the lone ranger says you know what i'm not credulous i'm leaving for town i'm a formal posse let these babies have their party tato says listen buddy you and i both have our reasons to go cavendash mine will be explaining later in the movie but that formal posse business i wouldn't do that if i were you see there was a gun planted for cavendish on the train eight men rode into that canyon and i only dug seven graves that's not just roasting rabbit you smell you also smell a rat am i right it was collins he knew us when we was kids you're like who's collins like, I only know because I really paid attention to this movie. You knew that old man when you were a kid, the drunk who threw up in the desert? He was their babysitter. You just rub a little bit of this on their gums and they go right to sleep. He's not teething. I know. <laughs> Tato, it turns out, has been doing some arts and crafts in the meantime, too. Yeah. And has made a the mask, the, the Lone Ranger mask, is made out of his dead brother's clothes. Yeah. And the eye holes are where the bullets killed his brother. Yeah, that's the creepiest shit I've ever heard. It's got to smell terrible. Coppery, at least. And he says, I did this so that your brother will watch over you. And it's in no way creepy to constantly be looking out the eye holes that ended the life of your brother. The Lone Ranger says, you want me to wear a mask? It's like he's a 15-year-old girl hearing that her mom and dad are going to chaperone the school day. It's like, what? You want me to wear a mask? Ugh, no. Ugh, it's so stupid. All right, so the Lone Ranger says, all right, we're going to ride together, but if we do so, we're going to do it so that we can bring Cavendish to a court of law. We're getting justice, not just some crazy shoot him up out here in the old west yeah sure justice is what i seek too kimo sabe and then tonto hand chops the top of the lone ranger's white hat so that the lone ranger just doesn't look like a white guy dressed as pharrell for halloween (laughs) at this point the lone ranger he has his mask and his white cowboy hat and he's kind of got his vest he's in the whole lone ranger get up and then we go to one of the top three most unnecessary scenes of the movie okay which is where they ride into town where there is this sideshow happening it's like this carnival there's all circus freaks and manner of movie weirdos wandering around dude this place is straight up run by the devil it is a horrifying (laughs) show and they go to this place called reds which 
we know from the drunk's handbill that he had. They go into this place, and and Red's, as we will learn, is run by Helena Carter, who is there awaiting another husband to steal away from a popular Hollywood actress. And so there's some drunk at the bar sees Tonto and the Lone Ranger as they come in, and they're making their way upstairs to talk to Red. And it's clear, like, uh uh-oh, this guy clocks Tonto. Well, he's not that hard to identify. He's walking around with a bird in his head, and he's dressed up as Tonto. Also, this guy doesn't go to get, like, a gang or to go to get the law. He just goes and gets an angry mob to come get an engine. A straight-up torch and pitchfork mob. Yes, being driven by racist hate. And I think this is further implication of a theme that is totally dropped in this movie about nature being out of balance and that people being corrupted by the evil spirit working within the law of the land and so forth. So we go up to meet Red, who has a scrimshaw ivory leg didn't see that coming that has a gun in it it's like something out of the wild wild west a hundred percent she's got this ivory leg gun she fires it off at a patron who's getting a little handsy with one of her whores and blows out the legs on his chair so we know that she has a leg gun and then the lone ranger and tonto they're in her office and the lone ranger says we are looking for a man named collins old guy drinks a lot sells out his lifelong friends have you ever seen him and she's like nah, i don't know who that is <laughs> the lone ranger he flashes his badge and he says we did notice some health violations upon entering your establishment livestock on premises fire exits not clearly marked and a sinister looking jar of pickles on the bar are we supposed to like the lone ranger when he does goofy shit like this it's a fine question because all it does is make him look both incredibly uptight and also like a goofball who is just way out of his depth yeah Tonto has enough of this shit and he's like listen up sister the Wendigo's getting away I'm talking about a man who has a taste for human flesh and Helena Bottom Carter her expression changes she's like you're talking about Butch Cavendish why didn't you say so and then she starts to spill the beans in the following scene and she says Collins came in here last week with a guy named Dan Sr. and they had an argument and they paid me with a big chunk of raw silver she clunks it on the table and the Lone Ranger goes to grab it and Tonto says hey pal don't touch that rock it's cursed but the Lone Ranger touches it anyway and he immediately has this nightmare vision of his brother's family get murdered barry pepper who isn't even in this movie yet shows up the lone ranger mm-hmm. himself is seen eating his own brother's heart which my question for you Bo, is the silver in this movie cursed is that what made Cavendish a cannibal and put nature out of balance? It's a fine question, Chad. If only there were an answer anywhere in this movie, I have no idea. If that's the case, it doesn't really matter. Because by the end of the movie, all the silver is going to end up in the drink, as we will find out. Right. But even that doesn't seem to, because of the last shot, or one of the last shots of this movie, it doesn't seem to have fixed anything. No. They introduce so many little details and they don't matter or they don't pay off. It's frustrating. Incredibly frustrating as a viewer. And I don't know if this was like, hey, we're planting seeds for the inevitable sequel that is never going to happen. And which is the height of presumption. Like if you're going to, if you have a trilogy in mind, you still make a new hope first. Right. That has a beginning, middle and end. And I don't, I don't know if there's a peppering of that in, in, in this movie that's causing some of these problems of like, oh, we're going to have 
in you know the second movie that we have in mind, we're going to pay this off. But instead, it's just a bunch of stuff that's drop threads. Tonto starts sniffing the air, and in a panic tone, he says, I hate to be a busybody, but do you have a cat? And Helena Bottom Carter says, I used to. Thought it would be an improvement over the men of my life. And then a bunch of locals bust in with their torches. It's never a good sign. They're there to kill Tonto because Helena Bottom Carter says, the Comanche have been raiding settlements up and down the river. They violated the treaty. And the Lone Ranger says, oh my God, I've got to save Rebecca, my brother's wife. I mean, my brother's widow. I mean, I don't have a brother. I'm a mysterious stranger. Gotta go. Yeah. And then Tonto now has a birdcage on his head protecting him and the bird hat that he always is wearing from this mysterious cat that no one has seen. And the Lone Ranger asks Helena Bottom Carter, how can I repay you for your help, ma'am? And Helena Bottom Carter says, make that animal Cavendish pay for what he took from me. And the camera pans back and we see a painting of Helena Bottom Carter as a ballerina hanging on the wall. So Mm -hmm. Cavendish ate her leg at least cut it off well why wouldn't he eat it if he cut it off he's a cannibal again you don't need any part of this scene you like you could do this very quickly with another character even if you want to use this character just drop all the i've got an ivory leg that's got a gun in it and all that shit just have her be the law and order scene speaking of that show you know the scene of the guy that you talk to the guy before you get to the guy that you really need to talk Mm to of do this in three minutes talk to the bartender that's how it normally works right and show the lone ranger doing something either clever or interesting to get this information instead of just being tugged along by the film yeah but yeah so a bunch of these religious assholes bust in we do get to see the white spirit horse outside picking up bottles of booze between his teeth and guzzling them and burping so we saw this horse shit and now it's getting drunk maybe later it'll go on a shoplifting spree (laughs) the lone ranger he walks down the stairs to meet up with tonto and here the lone ranger literally saves the cat that was being discussed earlier you think someone was reading the screenplay and they told the screenwriter at that time like hey you don't have a save the cat moment in your movie you need this to make your hero more likable right oh okay have lone ranger save a cat got it the other explanation for this is one of the screenwriters involved with this being a little cheeky with the idea again the only way you get away with being cheeky in your screenplay is for the screenplay to be also good right so this just comes across as we don't need to have that save the cat moment oh shit we fucked up everything in this screenplay and it's a real mess (laughs) oh shit oh we get we got a little big for our britches on this one i think gentlemen the lone ranger and tonto they hop on their horse and they escape and the angry mob of christians don't get to fulfill their bloodlust and then the movie cuts over to rebecca and dan jr they're at their homestead with an elderly black man named joe Mm -hmm. who is helping rebecca build a fence his last name is dead meat joe dead meat working the land with rebecca and dan jr you want this fence to keep people in or keep people out can you build me a fence to impale people on okay what's a fence (laughs) oh i really should have homeschooled him look mom i've got my gloves on my hands those are your shoes dan jr okay they're glove shoes (laughs) rebecca looks up and she sees what appears to be a comanche indian on the horizon so everybody runs inside for safety the comanche attack rebecca and joe do their best to fend them off with guns but joe gets shot there's a woman named pilar who's also there helping them on the farm she doesn't get killed yet but the indians end up just burning down this homestead and dan jr sees old joe Uh killed and scalped in front of him which i know that the old west is not known for therapy 
but he's gonna need some. <laughs> the Lone Ranger and Tonto, they make their way to the burned down farm ruins and Tonto says, wait a minute, this wasn't Indians. Indians make trades. Indians are like coyotes. We leave nothing behind. Hey, let me ask you a question, pal. What's the white man kill for? And then there's a scream. We cut to a barn where that cross-dressing outlaw is wearing women's clothing. And he's talking to Pilar about, he's like, I like me the aquamarine dress. The Lone Ranger and Tonto, they bust in. They see this cross-dressing bandit. And the cross-dressing bandit says, this ain't what it looks like, mister. I just like them pretty things. Mm. And the Lone Ranger says, you tell me where Rebecca and Dan Jr. are, or I'll let the Indian do what he wants to you. And this cross-dressing outlaw says, what she want to do? Tonto holds up a duck leg, and the guy's like, no, I don't want none of that. And so he jumps out the window, tells the head goon in charge, like, there's a ranger in there with an Indian wanted to violate me with a duck foot. Good God. So this dude is like, all right, I got this covered and shoots an oil lamp hanging in the barn, which sets fire to the place. And he says, just shoot anything that comes out. Right. Sure enough, the Lone Ranger and Tonto are in the barn. Tonto says, hey, pal, you're going to make a run for it. And Lone Ranger is like, they're going to shoot me. He's like, no, no, no. You're a spirit walker, pal. You can't be killed in battle. So while they're debating this... They hear hoofbeats on the roof of this place. Santa? Santa, is that you? Did you get my letter? They get up there and realize that Silver has somehow climbed to the roof of this barn. Yeah, this magic white horse. It's like a two-story tall barn that's covered in fire now. With nothing around it to make a jump to it reasonable. Or And again, it begs the question of like, is this just magic in this world? Like, is this really a spirit horse? And there's a running gag of Tonto saying, you know what, pal? There's something wrong with that horse. The Lone Ranger and Tonto jump on Silver. They jump off the roof. The Lone Ranger appears behind some of our bad guys and asks where Rebecca and Dan Jr. are. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> How's it going? And so Tonto throws a knife... As as this guy, one of the thugs, like draws his gun and stabs this guy right in the forearm. The Lone Ranger pulls his gun and fires, making this accidental trick shot. Basically, like goes off Tonto's crow head and a pole and a bell and all kinds of stuff. And it finally severs the rope holding this big beam aloft, which falls and crushes these two dudes' heads. Yeah, like rotten tomatoes. Which, by the way, this movie has a 31% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, a little too high. But Tonto goes over and finds the charm, the, this Indian charm that Dan Sr. had uh-huh. around one of their necks. Yeah. He trades the duck foot for it. Yeah. And that cross-dressing bandit, he gets on his horse and, and runs off to go tell the others of what happened. They're like, okay, we've got to track down Rebecca and Dan Jr. And Tonto says, I've got an idea. Set their horse loose and we're going to follow it. Oh, he also calls him Kimosabi here. And the Lone Ranger says, why do you keep calling me Kimosabi? What does that mean anyway? Why it means wrong brother, because you suck. <laughs> yeah C come on lone ranger we've got a movie to slog through hop on the horse we're only halfway through this Ugh. 
we end up going over to find Cavendish and his men who do in fact have Rebecca and Dan Jr. Uh-huh. Our cross-dressing bandit shows up and is like, hey, Frank, you gotta you gotta tell Cavendish about this Lone Ranger guy. He turns out he was in a bar along with this other Indian and they killed everybody but me. It was a ranger, Butch. A Lone Ranger. Yeah. That's how they introduced the actual name of our titular character. This dirty, filthy bandit like sputters it out. He was a lone ranger, Butch. Cavendish gets the bright idea to have the completely unreliable drunk in their crew to take Rebecca and Dan Jr. around a rock to kill them. The cross-dressing bandit says, Butch, it was the ghost of Dan Reed, the fella what's heart you ate, remember? And then it gave you that bad case of the diarrhea, (laughs) and we saw that coyote come over and eat up your poop, and then the coyote vomited. Remember that, Dan? Yeah. And then I ate that coyote. Yeah, I remember it. That's it. That's who it was. And Cavendish says, well, if it was a ghost of Dan Reed, I'll kill him again. Can't go to hell twice killing the same man. And everybody gets a big laugh. His crew's like, hey, you you are cut up, Cavendish. I wrote that, I wrote that myself. I wrote that. I, what? I didn't write about Dan Sr. I wrote about another fella who I thought I killed, but I, I, I just I only wounded him, and I, I, I killed him a second time. I've been sitting on that one for a little while in, in Paris, but, you know, it's good to have a couple in the chamber. <laughs> you know, just like bullets. Collins, do me a favor. Take this Rebecca and Dan Jr. over to the hill there. I want you to pull a Miller's Crossing, two shots in the head each one. All right, come on back. We're gonna we're gonna workshop some material. All right. How I would love to see Dan Jr. be like, Collins, you can kill me out here in the desert like an animal. <laughs> Have a hot, <laughs> right? Have a hot, Collins. <laughs> so Collins takes him over the hill. Uh, he does not kill them he fires into the ground and lets lets the schmata go (laughs) come on tom so he lets he lets him he lets rebecca dan jr run off and then the silhouette of a stranger on a horse shows up and shoots colin this stranger we are going to infer later is cole the rich guy but they don't ever explain that to us because this movie doesn't explain hardly anything to you right and why sit on that information you already know that there is a conspiracy afoot how about you forward that story and maybe the movie doesn't have to be two and a half hours long anyway so tonto and the lone ranger debating why cole would want to make it look like the comanches violated the treaty as they're following this horse through the desert which just falls over dead yeah and the lone ranger is like well that's just great you just brought us out in the middle of the desert and now we got a dead horse what the hell we gonna do now they bicker like a couple that should get divorced like not just for their own benefit but the benefit of their kids like you should not be together the world will be a better place if you two never spoke again yeah no this is definitely a situation where you see this happening at a restaurant and you're like the kid would be better off if they got divorced tonto and the lone ranger they go their separate ways and they end up finding train tracks buried in the sand and they are on comanche territory we will find out later right away because there's a cut back to the present or you know the future of this movie and this kid's like wait a second how are there train tracks i thought this was supposed to be indian territory do they explain that here no because immediately that interruption is interrupted by the sound of an arrow oh, yeah thunk and he shrieks like a woman right because the lone ranger is actually hit by an arrow and then we cut away from that scene and we go over to cole the rich guy who's holding a second wild west press conference in front of this (laughs) massive trestle bridge we've got breaking old west news 
this giant trestle bridge that the train is going to use to cross a river below. And Cole, the rich guy, says, let it be known that all the bullshit I said earlier in the movie about peace between the white man and the Native Americans was just that. A bunch of bullshit. The white man's doing whatever he damn well pleases. And then all the white people, they clap their hands. We'll be at Promontory Summit in three days. Why are we putting a clock on this movie? That doesn't matter. The paraphrase of what you said is the Comanches, it turns out, are attacking settlements. So we've got to rip up our treaties. And the whole scam is we're going to pose as Comanches to attack settlements so that we can blame. It's a it's a false flag operation. And <laughs> some guy shows up with a wagon filled with nitroglycerin, which doesn't seem like a great idea. It's Cole Smithers is who it is. I don't remember him being in this movie for more than two seconds. He's here and then he holds the gun on Dan Jr. a little bit later. I gotcha. Okay. He rolls up and he says, uh, sir, I had to dip into petty cash to purchase this nitroglycerin and dynamite. I did run into a <clears throat> Captain James West who told me this is not how you transport nitro. Uh, then he tried to slap me and told me to keep uh, his wife's name out of my fucking mouth. I don't know what any of that meant, sir. All right, well, just put it somewhere. I don't care put, where. Put it, look, put it someplace safe. Somewhere safe. A safe place got it sir i I, you don't even have to wink i think i know what you mean find a safe place and put it there then for no good reason another character rides into this movie as barry (laughs) pepper shows up with the cavalry what happened to barry pepper he was a rising star he was in saving private ryan and he was an enemy of the state and green mile and then was it battlefield earth is that just like took down his whole career he was the collateral damage of that movie. Maybe. Like, I'm sure he shows up here and there. I'll I'll have to do a cursory search, but... He was the sheriff in the movie Monster Trucks, a film that nobody saw that was almost part of this season because it lost a ton of money. Dude, I actually saw that movie, and it's really, really terrible. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of movies you've just never heard of. Maybe that's Barry Pepper's play. I'm just going to go be in terrible movies. Interesting choices. Lone Ranger was his last big, big movie, unless you count one of those Maze Runner movies, which I certainly don't. Our movie cuts to this Native American reservation. It's at night, and there's beating drum and dancing around fires. The Lone Ranger and Tonto, they're in some sort of a jail cell Tonto is removing the arrow from the Lone Ranger, and it's here we find out that the Comanche are preparing for war against the white man. And then the movie gets interrupted by that kid talking to Tonto for no good reason. And then we just cut back to the main movie. This happens a lot, where you just cut back and they don't provide any more details or information. It's just, oh, remember, this is our framing device. Because all the kid says in this moment is... Wait, you're going to tell them that it's not really the Comanches, right? Like, you're going to stop this war. And he's like, mm, I don't know. We come back to the main movie, and the Lone Ranger's talking with the elders of the tribe, where inside our story within a story, we get another story inside that story, where the Lone Ranger here acts like a goober again in front of the Comanche. It's embarrassing. All that happens in this scene is that the chief tells Tonto's backstory, and that Tonto's mind is broken. And what we find out is that when Tonto was a boy, two white men showed up in the desert, and they were 
injured. So Tonto brought them back to his village. They nurse him back to health. The white men find a chunk of silver in the river. Tonto says, don't touch it, it's cursed. But then one of the white men trades a pocket watch for information as to where the source of the silver, the rock that they found in the water, where it is. So Tonto takes him there. We see that one of the white guys whips the watch around his hand the way Cole the rich guy does. So we can infer that this is Cole the rich guy, but as a slightly younger man. Did I miss any details there? No. So they find all this more silver and to keep the secret of this place, they go back and murder all of Tonto's tribe. Right. And here Tonto sees everyone as a charred corpse and there's smoldering remains of his village. And he picks up a dead black bird off the ground, which one can assume is the bird that he plops on his head as he lives a life seeking revenge against these two white guys. And so... We cut back to the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I hate all this jumping around in time. It's so bad. So the Lone Ranger is now back in this tent with all the elders. And he says, you have to listen to me. You can stop a war. And there's a quick cut. And again, kind of a comedic cut to him and Tonto buried up to their neck outside of this village. Yeah, we do get a part where the chief says that they traded the necklace coin with Dan Sr., and Dan Sr. swore that he would protect the treaty or something. And the chief's like, yeah, Whitey's a liar. Never trust Whitey. He's like, this is shit. This is Shinola. And then yeah. that's where they were like, yeah, we're not going to trust either of you. And so our two main characters are buried up to their neck. Right. And so they're going off to war, mm -hmm. leaving alone for a moment the Lone Ranger and Tonto who are buried. Then the cavalry rides through after them. Not squashing their heads like watermelons, thankfully. Right. There's a, a moment there where the Lone Ranger is like, huh, I guess they're not coming back for us, huh? Tonto gives them, you know, one of those side-eye looks to say, you're an idiot. Yeah. Again, making it completely unclear who I'm supposed to root for in this movie. That happens a lot in this movie where Tonto is in the background or off to the side looking at the Lone Ranger with a face that just says, you disgust me. <laughs> yeah. You are a moron. And it doesn't ever really change. Like, there's never a point in the movie where there's, like, a grudging respect that Tonto has nope. for him. Because he's an idiot. The Lone Ranger, that is. At this point, a bunch of scorpions start crawling out of the ground, and they go up all over the faces of Tonto and the Lone Ranger. But before this can go anywhere, the white spirit horse shows up and licks the scorpions off the Lone Ranger's face. And then the white spirit horse leans its head down, and some of the ropes on its bridle land in the Lone Ranger's mouth. And the horse just pulls him out of the sand by his teeth. And then the Lone Ranger's like, see you later. I'm out. Our hero, folks. Yeah, just leaves this guy to die. He does come back, though, not because he's doing anything heroic. He comes back because he says, oh, so you know where the river begins. Uh -huh. And that's what I need to find. The Lone Ranger, who's a goofy jackass, he saddles up with Tonto and they go to where the river begins, which is the source of all of that silver. And we go down and there is now a mine that has been dug and there's a bunch of Chinese laborers there pulling out mine cars full of silver. Cavendish is getting a shave and the guy accidentally cuts Cavendish's cheek and Cavendish just like grabs his hand and then <laughs> licks the blood off the straight razor like Gary Oldman in Dracula. It's exactly like a Dracula, I, I mean, guess. <laughs> oh, don't, 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 don't
It's the way a child licks the spoon after whipping up brownie batter. It is that level of, you're not letting that go to waste, are you? Look, I'm here to tell you I'm going to eat at least some of that. <laughs> and so this Chinese worker comes out of this cave where they're mining all this silver, and he says, uh, essentially, me and my people won't go in this cave because there are cave-ins and also Indian spirits. Right. Our cross-dressing bandit tells Cavendish, hey, why don't we just take all the silver we can carry and get the hell out of here? Yeah. Cavendish throws a bunch of silver at this guy and is like, why would we just take a little when we can have it all? Now get in that cave. Yeah. The cross-dressing bandit goes in the cave. He gets all spooked because Tonto pops out of the shadows or something. So Cavendish says, right, stinky feet. Why don't y'all get in there and see if you can find that cross-dressing bandit? These two other guys, they go into the silver mine. They get all spooked because there's more mayhem from the shadows. And these two get taken out. Then a minecart rolls out by itself into the open sunshine. Cavendish and three other men walk over to see what's inside. And it's a lit bundle of dynamite that explodes, blowing all of these bandits in different directions. I thought they were dead, but Cavendish wakes up. He's okay, Bo. There are a couple of moments where it's like, oh, that would have killed him. Oh, that would have killed him. Oh, okay, I guess it didn't kill him. Yeah. There's one in particular, we'll talk about it in a minute, where Tonto just jumps off a train onto another train, onto a bunch of rocks. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know how this did not sever his spine. Immediate paralysis, if death is not on the menu. At the very least, a broken bone, so that you're not just gonna get up and be like, oh, that was a good jump. But anyway, yeah, he comes to, and he sees... Tonto and the Lone Ranger walking through the smoke of this explosion out of the cave in a real hero moment kind of shot. Uh -huh. And he recognizes the Lone Ranger and he says, Can't be! Ranger's dead! And he thinks he's Dan Sr. initially and says, Hey, that girl of yours, she got a good smell on her. The Lone Ranger pistol whips him. Uh, like, uh, repeatedly? Yeah. With the butt of the gun, just like across the face, like, attack, 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 attack. Tonto hands him a gun and he says, Say, pal, time to take your justice. This guy ate your brother's heart, for God's sake. Shoot him in the head. Do what any other hero in any other movie would, well, I, I, not a PG-13 family-friendly movie where a guy... Eats a heart? Yeah. The Lone Ranger starts dressing Tonto down. That's not justice. I'm not a savage. Right. And Tonto says, nah, you're not a man either. Right. And for the second time in this movie, he pimp slaps the Lone Ranger across the face, sending the Lone Ranger to the ground this time. The Lone Ranger, to solve this problem between the bickering heroes of this film, just has to knock Tonto out with a shovel. Right. Well, Tonto's going to kill Cavendish. He says, look, yeah. you stop me from killing this guy once. I'm not going to happen again. This is my destiny. And he's like, thunk on the head. The Lone Ranger then just ties Cavendish to his horse and starts leading him back to town cut to rebecca who's getting a roofie dude this nurse that is hired by cole is just feeding her laudanum i think it's the scarf vendor from the marketplace oh okay i guess that would make some sense i'm not gonna pay for two actresses i mean it's the same stuff that kurt russell's wife in tombstone is drinking all the time is it good it's great it's just morphine. Why are they drugging her? This goes nowhere. I guess the implication, again, in our family-friendly movie, is that he's got to keep her doped up long enough so that they have sex a few times. And then by the time she sobers up, she's going to be confused and be like, I guess I'm with him now? Cole, the rich guy's in another car of the train, and he's talking with Captain Barry Pepper about how the cavalry did a good job killing all them engines. Dan Jr.'s off to the side playing with a toy train, and Cole, the rich guy, gives Dan Jr. a boring speech about manifest destiny and there's a promise that he 
might give all this to Dan Jr. if his mama Rebecca decides to play ball. Literally play ball. Rebecca staggers in freshly drugged and she says, there's a ranger who's still alive. And Cole the Rich Guy says, well, if there is a ranger, we'll scour the country till we find him. Not really, but my word is my bond. I'm kidding. I lie all the time. Dan Jr. is still playing with this model and says, what's a train? Yeah, have you been sending your child to school, Rebecca? Because he does not seem very bright. So it turns out they don't have to go looking for this mysterious ranger because the Lone Ranger rolls into this town. Cavendish is still tied up to the back of the horse and they're dragging him along. And Dan Jr. sees the Lone Ranger coming through the smoke and the lights. And he says, hey, it's my dad. And Rebecca stumbles to her feet and Cole tells his smithers, take Rebecca and the boy to the car in the back for their safety or something. The Lone Ranger meets up with Cole, the rich guy, and he says, here's Cavendish, the bandit you were looking for. It's time that we hang him for his crimes. And then Cole just starts kicking the shit out of Cavendish on the ground, which is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the Lone, But then the Lone Ranger steps in and he's like, no, no, we must stop this beating. I will let you hang this man, but I will not let you kick him. Also, the Lone Ranger isn't wearing his mask now. It fell off after he left Tonto, most likely killing his partner injustice well he ripped it off when they were arguing so he just left it off and you know left it there with tonto but also there's a moment where cavendish like when cole's beating him where cavendish gives him a look like all right i'll play along yeah smithers has the gun pulled on rebecca and dan jr who is like what's a gun are you my dad no boy i'm your mama is he my mom too the train starts moving, mm-hmm. and as it kind of jerks into motion, Rebecca gets the gun away from this guy, hands it to her kid, by the way. Yep, that's how you do it. It says, he has a twitchy trigger finger? Most children do. And so she's like, I'll be back later, and just crawls out the window. Well, she's high on morphine, Bo. She wants to go get more <laughs> keep things even she's she's off the score while danny plays with a gun like dhs is definitely gonna get involved we come back to the silver mine and the chinese day laborers they find tonto and he's coming back to consciousness tonto has the lone ranger's mask and he holds it up and he says "Mm, that lone ranger he's one stupid white man am i right chinese laborers am i right oh i forgot we don't speak the same language i'm out of here and so he takes off then we cut to the inevitable betrayal scene where the Lone Ranger is eating dinner with Cole. The Lone Ranger is spilling the tea on, here's the the big scam, which is Cavendish was posing as an Indian. We see Cole whip out this pocket watch and we're like, hey, that looks an awful lot like the pocket watch that we saw when Tonto's tribe got killed in that flashback from earlier. Or maybe it was one of the flash forwards, or maybe it was one of the earlier flashbacks. (laughs) One of those. And while this is happening, Rebecca is climbing along the side of this train, all hopped up on goofballs. Where's she going? Dude, I have no idea. While that's going down, the Lone Ranger seems to put it together like, wait a second, somebody had to hire Cavendish, somebody with a lot of money and who really into trains and uh-oh yeah well cole also says you and i are a lot alike we both have brothers brothers that are very different from us your brother is very heroic and helps people and makes the world a better place you not so much just like me i'm a rich asshole but i've got a brother who's a poor asshole and he's kind of a jerk and he's Cavendish. And you're like, what dude i don't think i put it together that Cavendish was his brother until just this second are you kidding me 
I'm not kidding you. This whole scene, they're talking about brothers and having brothers and having a good brother and a bad brother. And they're the two guys. You realize that they're the two guys who burned down Tonto's village, right? I do know that. Okay. Yes. But, <laughs> but also, it is so hard to say focused in this scene because I don't give a shit about anything that's happening. And so that one sentence, of, <laughs> I, I, I just missed it. I understand. Like I said, you might have gone to the bathroom or just sort of thought about something that wasn't this for a moment and you will miss these little important but seemingly who cares details so but that's the thing it doesn't change anything about the movie rebecca eventually makes her way back into a different train car where she pops in and wouldn't you know it Bo? she goes into the one train car that has cavendish in it yeah and then the lone ranger figures out that dan senior was the one who found the train tracks out in comanche territory that ran to the silver mine so that's why they had to have dan senior killed because he wouldn't go along with this big master plan or so they tell us the lone ranger takes cole the rich guy to the train car where dan jr is holding smithers at gunpoint and one inside dan jr who has a itchy trigger finger he says where's my daddy and cole the rich guy says your dad he's dead your uncle lone ranger here shot and killed him shoot him dan jr kill the man who killed your dad (laughs) (laughs) right but then cavendish busts in with rebecca and then Dan Jr. is like, where's my father? Is my dad dead? What's a dad? Who's a dad? And so Barry Pepper now busts in too. It is like, oh, everybody's got guns pulled? Okay, I'll pull one too. Eight people with guns all pointed at each other. It's like something out of the naked gun. It's a Tarantino movie <laughs> without the payoff. <laughs> Barry Pepper is aiming at Cavendish. Cavendish is aiming at the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger is pointing a gun at Cole. Dan Jr. has his gun in his mouth. Sagging on it like a lollipop. (laughs) And Barry Pepper is like, wait, what's going on here again? (laughs) And... And Cole is like, well, this man is claiming that the Comanches were innocent, but if that's true, then you would have killed a bunch of Comanches who were innocent, and you'd be a murderer. Oh, shit. Barry Pepper kind of thinks about it for a second and says, well, the way I see it, these men are all with the railroad. And then he points his gun at the Lone Ranger and says, so who the hell are you? (laughs) And it's like, oh, man, he's looking out for his own self-interest, I guess. The train arrives back at the Silver Mine entrance at night, and they're going to execute the Lone Ranger. So we see a Chinese laborer carrying a birdcage as he's walking around, and this catches the Lone Ranger's eye. Because remember, Bo, earlier, there was a birdcage on Tonto's head. So, of course, that means this is Tonto. Not at all. Mm-hmm. The Lone Ranger gets put on a handcar or something. It's it's a small platform with wheels underneath it. And he's wearing a blindfold. Rebecca is on the train promising Cole, the rich guy, that she'll take care of him because she knows what's good for her. Then she has a change of heart, and she immediately immediately just spits in Cole the rich guy's face mm-hmm. and then Cole backhands Dan Jr. for getting mouthy things are getting a little tense absolutely yeah. uh, there's a little powwow between Pepper Cole and Cavendish fondling some silver and Barry Pepper's like that sure is a lot of silver and Cole says enough to buy a country yeah oh he's definitely up to some funny business because he's the villain then they move the engine of this train into this cave where the Lone Ranger it, like you said he he's kind of blindfolded taken to be shot when they're pulling the engine in they're like hey we need to get everybody out of this cave but the one worker that we saw with the bird cage refuses to get out and when they're like how come he holds up this cage that has a dead bird in it and they think like oh no it's leaking gas mm-hmm. 
or there's gas in this cave, so we got to get out of here. In between all of this stuff, we cut back and forth to the Lone Ranger being lined up, and it's a real, like, ready-aim-fire kind of moment. They start to back up the main engine because of the threat of gas. And as the train is backing up, when they fire their bullets, the bullets hit the train instead of hitting the Lone Ranger. About this time, arrows start flying through the night sky, and the Comanche attack from above. Tonto, we mentioned that he was the one with the birdcage, right? That's right. All right, just making sure. I, I, again, I, I'm kind of not really paying attention. And the editing on this is all over the place because there's five different things happening and only one of them matters. Yeah. So the Com- the Comanche start to attack. Tonto hops on a hand car and eater eater rolls over to save the Lone Ranger by clunking into the p- small platform car that he's on. And during this whole sequence, neither of them are hit by arrows or bullets. The best part of this whole scene is that we get to see Rance Howard as the train engineer. Well, that's a mm. role Rance Howard was born to play. Soot-faced train engineer. Yeah. You know, this is the third time he's appeared on this podcast. He was the telegrapher in Jonah Hex, and he was a who in Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I'm kind of surprised it's only three, to I be know. honest. Because he's in a lot. We should do a season of just Rance Howard movies. <laughs> rants howard's end oh that's pretty good the cavalry guys whip out some gatling guns that they have on the back of the train and they're killing all the comanches who are attacking the lone ranger and tonto are running away on this handcart and end up jumping down this handy tunnel that is built into the side of the other main tunnel cavendish follows them and he chunks a big container of kerosene down in this tunnel that our two heroes have escaped in then he lights a bundle of dynamite somebody asks him a question about like what are you doing and he was like these two have a habit of not staying dead and he chunks it down there and his delivery is pretty good yeah again you need a good villain you call billy fix back up top captain barry pepper during the chaos of war he stabs the chief of the comanche and he realizes the errors of his ways literally has blood on his hands in this scene (laughs) subtlety thy name is not lone ranger so the lone ranger and tonto they're in this shaft and it explodes and blasts them out all butch and sundance style they land in the water below they swim to the shore and here they realize that all is lost the comanche are dead the bad guys have all the money and power tonto even finds his dead crow headpiece for the second time in the water and the movie cuts back to the kid in the carnival sideshow to interrupt the tone of this film yet again so all those people just died for silver and that's all he asked because then we immediately cut back (laughs) you're like what 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 was the point of that what was his answer? I think he was going to say something. Was Tonto going to reveal what's going on in this movie and, and why that I should care about any of it? Probably got lost in editing. The Lone Ranger tells Tonto, you were right. There is no justice out here. If men like Cole are the law, I'd rather be an outlaw. Now you get it, chum. Put your mask back on. You're an outlaw like me. What should be kind of a nice hero moment, we do a cut to Silver standing on the branch of a tree. Like 20 feet in the air. With the Lone Ranger's hat in his mouth. And Tonto again says, you know, pal, I said it once. I'll say it again. There's something wrong with that horse. 
I don't need a joke in this moment. I just need this to be the moment where this character changes. We kept a promontory point where the finale of our movie is going to take place. And they're putting the final railroad stake to connect the east and westbound tracks. It's a big celebration with flags and banners. And a band is playing Stars and Stripes Forever. You can't go more patriotic, Bo, than Sousa. Mm. Unless you go with Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American. Or Kid Rock's We the People. You like you like that Kid Rock song, Bo? We the people in all we do reserve the right to scream, fuck you. Wear your mask, take your pills. Now the whole generation's mentally ill. Man, fuck Fauci. Those are lyrics that will stand the test of time, Bo. Kid Rock, he's a national treasure. He's a poet. He is exactly as advertised, I would argue. <laughs> Back in our movie, Bill Dotry from King of the Hill, he gets up on this platform to make a speech, and Cole the Rich Guy is sitting in the group of people behind him, a little pissed off, because he's got this plan to take over the railroad with all the money from selling the silver. Bill Dotry gives Cole the Rich Guy uh, his... Uh, credit that it's due cole the rich guy gets up and bill dotry hands over a box with a gold watch inside as a token of appreciation for helping to you know complete this railroad we cut to the lone ranger and tonto and they are rigging a bridge with dynamite and nitroglycerin then tonto and the lone ranger they light the fuse they run off but we see the fuse burn out and the dynamite doesn't explode. Mm-hmm. And the movie cuts back to the Wild West Sideshow with the kid. And this kid asks, where did you get the dynamite and the nitroglycerin? And why did you attach it to a bridge? What is going on in our movie? I mean, you're rambling story, old man. Then the movie cuts back to the start of the film where the Lone Ranger and Tonto were robbing that bank. And it turns out that Smithers hid all of the explosives in a safe place meaning the Mm -hmm. bank safe. Still doesn't answer the question how they got it all out and down into this ravine to attach to a bridge. Or why they decided to just crib something from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid to remind us of a far, far far better movie i'm not even gonna ask questions because there's there's no answers to any of these we head back over to the celebration of the train tracks being united off of the distance there's a quiet little boom and bill (laughs) dotry says well what was that and cole the rich guy says just some chinese day laborers tunneling for supply routes let's go inside so i can unveil my plan to take over the railroad with my newfound stolen wealth it's just some people making some steamed hams (laughs) steamed hams you say Is that what they call them out of here? Yes, steamed hands. (laughs) Cavendish goes to get Rebecca. He says, what you got that makes me so hot under the collar? Maybe I'll have a little taste, you know, a little something, you know? You're so gross. Uh, In this meeting with the bigwigs, Cole reveals that, hey, I know you've been treating me like your employee, but I am going to make uh, a play to own the majority stock in this railroad when it goes live on the New York Stock Exchange. And there is $65 million in silver on this train that I have mined. And so I'm doing what you might call a hostile takeover of the train company. So when that silver arrives in San Francisco, all of you people are going to work for me. And then he throws the gold watch down and he says, so you can keep your watch. Right. Captain Barry Pepper is asking his men to check the undercarriage of the train again. And we didn't talk about this earlier, but there's actually two trains that are facing one another Mm -hmm. with the, like the grandstand between the middle of them, symbolically having East and West come together. So they're looking under the train, making sure that there's no bad people doing bad stuff. I don't know what they're looking for. Tonto is actually shimmying under the train. And at one point, Tonto peeks up inside one of the train cars and he sees Dan Jr. And he, for some reason, gives Dan Jr 
Jr. a silver bullet that he got from who knows where in exchange for a grape. Mm -hmm. And of course, Dan Jr. is like, what's a man doing under the train? And they're like, shut up, kid. Is that important to this movie? <laughs> There's not much left. Helena Bottom Carter, she shows up with her merry band of whores I, to be a distraction? Under whose request? Captain Barry Pepper sees her, and she shows off her ivory leg, and he immediately gets a boner. <laughs> sure. Up, up in the boardroom, Cole the rich guy pulls out a gun and shoots Bill Dotry in the ass to show that he means business. Bill Dotry's just on the floor like, oh, I've been shot in the butt cheek. And so Tato shows up at the train engine with a knife and says, say, pal, this is a robbery. One of the engineers says, well, we don't have any money in here. And he says, no, I mean, it's a train robbery, as if I'm going to rob a train. Like, not what's in the train, but the train itself. Anyway, you get it. They get off. He starts up the train. Barry Pepper is feeling up Helena Bottom Carter's fake ivory leg, mm -hmm. and she shoots off her leg gun at a wagon filled with explosives mm -hmm. as a distraction or to signal the start of the finale of this movie i don't know if this is part of the plan but the, I the idea i got from this is that it causes all the cavalry's horses to stampede away so they can't pursue right. because there are no horses tato then starts the locomotive he's in to go forward which crashes into the bandstand and then tato makes his train go backward taking with it all of the train cars that are filled with silver and this is where captain barry pepper he hops on board one of the trains dan jr is still on the train and it's here that the william tell overture starts proper and the Lone mm -hmm. Ranger appears riding his white spirit horse across the rooftop of a building. And Cavendish grabs Rebecca, puts her on the second train that was facing the train that Tonto is on. And that train starts moving forward. So we have two trains yep. on the same track chasing one another. And what ensues is truly one of the most entertaining train sequences in movie history. It is difficult to describe. There's references to Back to the Future 3 when Rebecca, who's wearing a purple dress, does her best Clara Clayton impression and falls over backwards and screams and yells. The whole thing is filled with humor and melodrama, physical stunts, all set to the William Tell Overture that's just this incredibly energetic piece of music that is perfect for this type of action. I don't feel like we can describe it. Is there anything you want to highlight from this I, th I, I think we just get to the fates of these characters because there's good stuff the latter stuff is pretty fun i felt like describing it on this podcast would be like describing the opening chase sequence from baby driver right or maybe like the skyscraper heist in mission impossible ghost protocol words do not do it justice of how well executed this finale is i don't recommend this movie as as a piece of entertainment that people should watch no but if you just want to see good action direction yeah you should watch the last 25 minutes of this movie from the point that the William Tell Overture starts to the point where we get back to Promontory Point in a little bit. Yeah. Like, just watch that sequence, and it's like, oh, okay, that's really neat, and the way that you're doing this is very cool, and the movie, thankfully, doesn't stop the action to jump forward in time to have the kid be like, so what's going on with Tonto? Well, it does a little bit, because here's what happens to all of our bad guys. The Lone Ranger, through really nothing that he does, ends up leaping off of the train where a car that has Barry Pepper in it crashes into Butch Cavendish, so they get killed. And I would argue, in a pretty anticlimactic fashion, Barry Pepper 
Pepper is barely a villain in this movie, right. and you need to see Cavendish go in a more substantial way. Yes. And then he saves Rebecca. What happens to Dan Jr.? Oh, he's on the train with Tonto, because that, that right. stops, right? Right, so right, right. There. So Tonto confronts Cole, the rich guy, and gives him back the watch. This is a bad trade, buddy. Take it back. And then he pulls the pin between the engine and the cars that have all of the silver in it. It's like three or four cars. The train is going away and the kid from the carnival interrupts and he says, wait a minute, he just got away. He went across the bridge. And that's where you get this gag of Tonto saying, what bridge? And the poof explosion we heard earlier was the bridge blowing. It's so convoluted. The bridge blowing up. Am I, am I explaining no, this correctly? Yeah, no, that, that's right. We get a cut forward to a cut to the present action of the movie to a cut back and then back to the present of the movie, but not I know. the 1900s. It's so unnecessarily complicated. And anyway, so Cole, who is riding on a train car... It goes over the broken bridge and he gets buried by all of the pieces of silver and the train cars in the river below and he dies. Yeah, and the kind of the last thing we see out of him is this pocket watch that Tonto said was this was a bad trade, buddy. Yeah. That kind of floats away. And so all our villains are taken care of. We go back to Promontory Point, where there's a pretty good visual gag where we see the band playing again, only now they all have bandages and they're instruments are all busted (laughs) yeah it's pretty good (laughs) and so that celebration has resumed and the lone ranger is being presented a gift from bill dotry this is where they they should have said the lone ranger name for the one and only time yes because the way bill dotry says like we have this ranger this lone ranger to thank for saving the day right and he kind of gives it a real secret like it's good to know that we've got a man like you on the side of justice yeah. Lone Ranger realizes like, oh, this guy's just as corrupt as Cole was, but, you know, maybe not as outright villainous, but my work here is not done ultimately. Right. And he hands him the box and he opens it and it's the box that had the watch in it. Do you think it's the same watch, right? Yeah. Go up there and get that gold watch that Cole chunked on the table. We'll give it here to this this uh, Lone Ranger man. He it looks inside and he sees some birdseed and <laughs> it gives it back. He's like, uh, no thanks. I'm, I'm taking off, uh, you know. Bill Dotry is like, you know, you can take off that mask. And he's like, nah, it turns out I can't uh, because all of you suck. So I'm going to take off. And he gets on silver, is about to ride out of town. And he stops to tell Rebecca, you know, I just can't stay. And as a viewer, you're like, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> he looks at Dan Jr. and he says, Dan Jr., you're not a boy anymore. Your daddy would be proud. Take care of your mama. What's a dad? Rebecca says, you know, if that badge ever gets too heavy for you to wear, you come find me. And he's like, well, you could move or something. She's like, I'm not moving anywhere. This is my home. He's like, whatever. I got to get out of here. This movie's got to wrap up at some point. So we cut to the Lone Ranger and Tonto. They're up on this high cliff. And it's here that the Lone Ranger says, I thought I'd call my horse Silver. Tonto whips the watch around his hand and it lands in his palm. We see these two rambling about how the Lone Ranger needs a new nickname. And then we see one of those vampire rabbits. A binicula, yes. Jump up on a hill, gobbling on a scorpion. Uh Uh-huh. Which suggests that we have not solved any of the balance of nature problems at all. Nope. We just killed two villains and a guy who made a couple of bad choices during the fog of war. Barry Pepper did not deserve to die in the way that he... Like, yes, did he do bad things? Absolutely. But also, like, he wasn't doing any of it to be a bad person. You know, he was doing it because he's part of the cavalry, and that's what the cavalry did, and, you know, whatever. But... 
I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying that he does not deserve to die in the same fashion as Cavendish, who is a cannibal who ate the heart of our hero's <laughs> brother. Let's head back to the carnival sideshow, where Tonto is now wearing a suit, and he puts a little bowler hat on his head. End of another workday. That's right. Time to go collect my half a bag of stale peanuts. The kid is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go, like, what happened? Is all of that true even? Tonto says, well, that's the funny thing about stories. It's all up to you to believe whether it's true or not. Because <laughs> I said a bunch of stuff and maybe it made sense and maybe it didn't. And then he tosses a, this child a round of live ammunition. Right, gives him a, a real bullet. <laughs> And this kid, like, puts on the Lone Ranger mask. And when he looks back, Tonto is now gone. Yep. And all that's there is a crow in the display case, which flies off into the night. Okay, so was he, um like, a shapeshifter <laughs> or something? And uh, whatever. Because then the movie's not done cutting around. Because then we cut back to the Lone Ranger stuff. There's a final bit with him on the the uh, legs of the hind legs of the horses and yelling hi silver away and he lands and my one laugh of the movie is johnny depp staring at him and saying don't ever do that again and it's a good delivery of, of a line like that or it could just be relief that the movie's over with because at that point they write <laughs> i think it was the line. yeah they, they just write off together and we get some credits and that's the end of the movie <sighs> that was a tough one two and a half hours that movie is so damn long. I know. And so confusing. And at the end of all of this, Chad, I still don't know why I'm supposed to like the Lone Ranger. I don't think you are. Bo, we have come to the end of yet another season. <laughs> uh-huh. And as we teased earlier, we always rank our movies from top to bottom or bottom to top, however we want to rank them. Why don't you kick off how oh, you stack these, the reasoning behind you put them in that particular order? Oh, man. I've been going back and forth with this so much. All right. So, bottom of the list. Oh, man, these are all so bad. Bottom of the list for me might be Cutthroat Island. Okay. Because it is super long. The action sequences aren't very good. It looks cheap, and it's woefully miscast. <laughs> so, it's... It's got really nothing going for okay. it. Right above that at the number five slot, I think it's going to be Lone Ranger for me okay. because it's super long. Nothing really matters and it's woefully miscast, <laughs> but there are some interesting action sequences. Okay. Right above that in the number four slot is John Carter because it's ridiculously long. It's woefully miscast. And there are no good action sequences in it. But I still find it at least more interesting than Lone Ranger. Because the story isn't that complicated. Right. Even though it's more complicated than it needs to be. And any of those could swap places at any time. Sure. Because all of them are super long and they're all really bad. Then you get to the number three slot. Which is probably gonna be Mars Needs Moms. Uh, if that's equal as terrible as everything and it's difficult to look at because the animation style makes you want to gouge out your own eyes like sam neill in event horizon but it's short and then number two is probably Geely, just because it's it's kind of the most interesting mess of the movies we talked about. Like, there is probably a decent movie somewhere in that. Right. It, none of it comes together. And my number one is R.I.P.D. That being the top of any list is a just 
uh, blasphemous. Is that because it was the shortest? It's the shortest, and also Jeff Bridges is at least having a good time, even if he's un- unintelligible. And I really enjoy hearing him say, well, that's honky-tonk bullshit. That line alone cements it in the number one slot because that brought me a moment of flickering <laughs> joy. And none of these movies I would ever recommend to anyone. I would Of all the seasons we've done, this may be one of the very few where I'm like, if listeners should not watch any of these films for any reason. These are all bad movies and you are wasting your time with all of them. The way I ranked these was, if I had to recommend these movies to myself... Can I, can I guess what your bottom is? Oh, you know what my bottom is. It's got to be John Carter. Yeah, of because, course it is. Yeah. Like that, when hate. I got done, like I immediately, like, number six, John Carter. Now let's yeah. stack everything above that. Okay. Uh, Cutthroat Island is my number five. All right. It's kind of boring. It did have a monkey, but not, you know. <laughs> I do. I do miss that monkey. <laughs> yeah. Above that, I put Mars Needs Moms just because it's shorter. And uh-huh. RIPD was my number three. Yeah. And then my number two was The Lone Ranger. And my number one was Geely. Because when I watched Geely, knowing nothing about it, and the guest star cameos and the scenes that they deliver in that, that's worth your time to watch it. It's such a disastrously enjoyable painful movie to watch yeah that movie's a real mess um but but like i said it's an interesting interesting mess the only reason i give r.i.p.d the nod uh in the number one over geely is that i probably laughed more in r.i.p.d because of some jeff bridges nonsense like him singing that dumbass song with the concertina and stuff (laughs) like that's just ridiculous stuff that kind of works despite the movie but this has been a real this is a tough one to get through you know just this whole season you know but for next season uh-huh. um I, look i like to read you like to read you know i do like I, I don't to know read, if we, yeah. we classify ourselves as bookworms but we like to read and mm-hmm. we've never done a season that fully explores movies that were adapted from the printed page to the silver screen now we talked about doing this for a while but then we're mm-hmm. like, well, that would be six different books by six different authors, which six times six is 36. And we're not picks 36 movies, Bo. That's too much. Too many, yeah. Instead, what I was thinking, what if we got six movies that were all written by the same author? And then that way we get our six movies. But what if that literary author wasn't just good at writing books? What if that author was good at writing books and movies and TV shows and possibly songs that you could sing while playing a concertina? And what if those books, movies, and TV shows came out in the 70s and 80s and 90s? And there's only one author that made his mark doing all of these things, novelist, screenwriter, director, and creator of one of the most successful TV shows of all times, Bo. I got T-Rexes to the left of me, tornadoes to the right, cause I'm Crichton the Middle with you. That's right, next season's theme is Crichton the Middle with you, featuring six movies inspired by, or actually written by Michael Crichton himself. Yeah, this is gonna be a real something. And Chad, I get to kick things off. And I figure if we're going to talk about Michael Crichton movies, then I want to talk about a movie that features a longstanding crush of mine, one of the great character actors of all time, and perhaps a monkey. 
And of course, I am talking about Laura Linney and Tim Curry <laughs> in the film classic Congo, directed by the legendary Frank Marshall and written by the also legendary John Patrick Shanley of Joe vs. the Volcano fame. So, you got Ernie Hudson, you got Bruce Campbell, you got Joe Don Baker. All of this is, is happening, and somehow, Chad, somehow. The movie may not be very good. I read this book uh-huh. way back in the day, and I saw this movie, and I, I've only seen it once. Even then, I remember just my head being blown as to how tragically awful it is. There is a wrap-up on this movie, a real deus ex volcano uh-huh. in this film, that I cannot wait for us to talk about because it is one of the most ridiculous things you will ever see in a movie. That's kind of a through line in a lot of Michael Crichton's works, though. Michael Crichton, very successful writer that did not know how to end a movie ever. But Amy loved Congo, and I cannot wait for us to dig into sign language apes and crazy technology and Joe Don Baker being a scientist or something. It's it, We've got Delroy Lindo. I mean, it is just a, a stat cast that we're going to have a great time with. But here's the great thing about Congo, is there are enough bad accents from the actors themselves that when we're doing bad accents of those bad accents, it's going to be just an imperceptible difference. It's going to be like you're watching the movie. And we have not finalized what six movies are going to be in this season. We've talked about so many options. If you have a request, you can email us at picksixmovies at gmail.com. Let us know which Michael Crichton movie you would like for us to tackle on Pick Six Movies. You can also find us on social media. As always, like, rate, review, tell a friend about the show, reach out to us. We love to hear from you. We do our best to respond to everybody who reaches out to us. Bo, any final thoughts that you have on The Lone Ranger? What's a Lone Ranger? Billy, get the gun out of your mouth. It tastes like daddy. Get it out of your mouth. No. We'll see you in two weeks' time, everybody. Thanks for listening.